Oh man, I am hyped up. Man, I can't believe we finally get to do a musical disclaimer. It's been forever. It's been like, what, a year since we did this? Man, I am so excited. Man, we even got the, like, the full band and everything too. I'm so glad that Lilac finally let me do a 50 band orchestra. Alright everybody, warm up very quickly and then we are going to begin this because this is going to be the most awesome musical disclaimer we have ever... Hold on a second. Hello? Oh, hi Lila. Yeah, I got the band, why? Wait, 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 hold on. We ran out of money for the band? Wait, wait, hold on a second, I, I had enough money set aside for a 50-piece orchestra. What did you do with all the money? Oh, okay, okay, I, I, I guess I understand that. No, 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 I get it, I get it. You, you need the beans, I, I get that. No, no, that, that is pretty important too. Um, but, but just so I'm clear here, so you spent so much that we don't have enough to pay the musicians with. You, wait, 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 hold, hold on, guys, 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 hold on, don't, don't go, wait, wait, no, hold on, wait, wait, wait just five minutes, guys, guys, just five minutes, wait, Oh, I'll call you back. Well, what am I going to do then? I, how am I supposed to do the musical introduction all by myself? Warning, the Dub Talk podcast may contain language that is not suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there is a strong possibility that spoilers will occur for any and all series being discussed. So please be on your guard if we're talking about something that you're not finished with yet. And lastly, the opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Let desire flow, never let it go. Man, I had like, like you know, full orchestration and a 20 lyric song all ready to go and you know, just you know, go ahead and start the show. Welcome, one and all, to Kappa Talk. This is the exclusive podcast where a bunch of miniature Japanese folklore creatures get together and discuss the greatest Kappa-related media out there. Yes, more than just those Yu-Gi-Oh! playing card characters based on a Kappa, we have a full-fledged media empire to discuss. And with me today, I have purchased, I'm sorry, brought together the greatest members of the Kappa media out there. Uh, first and foremost, um, I want to say that we have people who are big fans of one Ikuhara, this Japanese director who's directed such great works out there, whose media has gotten such great dubs that we are here to talk about. First of all, we have Gigi, who is a big fan of the dub for Revolutionary Girl Utena. Oh my god, please stop talking. <laughs> And we also have Jet, who is a huge fan of the dub for Penguin Drum. Time to take back what I need. I won't leave till I retrieve it. Booty booty. <laughs> of, all, of all the parts you could have added on, I'm glad you picked that one. You could have picked Soccer Soccer or Soba Soba, but nope. Uh, okay, look, there's going to be a lot of butt parts today, but I guess just get it out the way. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, pre prepared. Um, may we put in the disclaimer, but there's going to be a lot of booty humor. So if that turns you off, I'm sorry. Um, also, we have with us Megan, who is uh, just a huge fan of Ikuhara's dubs all around. Hey, kid, want to buy some weed? Uh, wait, that's supposed to do weed in the show. It's in Japan. 
I mean, that guy was making like a couple hundred thousand yen a month it's on his- Grade A pussy brand. Oh, and my name is Noah Clue, and if you could not guess from the title, from the description, or the weird references, we have gathered together the greatest Kappa fans possible to talk about Sarai Zanmai, the latest production from Kuniiko Ikuhara that aired during the summer. No, I'm sorry. No, the spring, spring 2019 season. It's confusing because we're recording it at the end of the season. So, yes, we have seen the whole show and we understand it perfectly to discuss it for you, right? Sada. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as the otter himself said, I have better concept, so. Finally, an anime from Japan who's not afraid to say, yeah, we're gay, keep scrolling. <laughs> you can't scroll past this one, it'll just keep coming back. Oh my god. No, I no, I, I'm a big fan of um, of uh, this uh, particular type of show because I, if you're not familiar with the, the director's uh, work, he's very um, metaphor heavy. So you kind of got to watch the shows with your with your soul, not necessarily your brain. Because um, what what is the show about? I should say, it is about three middle school boys, just three average, typical middle school boys that just happen to have their own hidden desires, which are expressed when this character called Kepi, who is a mythical Kappa from this Kappa kingdom, decides to, um, through a process that I won't explain to you because it has to be seen for yourself, turns them into Kappas. And through their own misadventures, they, they kind of have to retrieve spheres that represent other people's desires while also going through their misadventures of dealing with their own desires. And it, it accumulates, I actually, I don't even know what goes on. What is this show? This is a show about a lot of shit. Gay cop anime. Gay, there's there's cops, there's otters, there's a zombie that might as well be Andrew's fetish at one point. <laughs> we, we don't we don't kink shame the desires. Or maybe we do. I, I could never understand if the show was supposed to say like, you shouldn't indulge in desires or you shouldn't hide your desires. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, knowing the answer is probably both those things, but... <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes. <laughs> there, we could, and we could go into the deep discussions of this tonight, but to keep this concise, uh, we are here to discuss the English dub, which, as I kind of hinted at, Ikuhara's productions, because they're very metaphor-heavy and very Japanese, have a tendency to not get the best English dubs in the past. Revolutionary Girl Utena was uh, not so very good. Penguin Drum was really not very good. Uh, we kind of broke the streak uh, a couple years ago when um, Yuri... Yeah, help me out here, Megan. What's it called? Lesbian Bear Storm. Oh, thank you. Yurikuma Arashi. Yurikuma! Yurikuma Arashi. Shock! Kuma shock! <laughs> Shabba <-da. laughs> Shabba -da -ba -da -da. <laughs> and just like, just like that lesbian fest. One man's quest to just put Junichi Suwabe in the weirdest fucking positions possible. <laughs> God bless. Oh my. <laughs> and just like that, uh, pole dance. No, no objections to that. And just like that masterpiece, um, this is a production that was dubbed and licensed by Funimation. So uh, shall we get into discussing the characters and what in the world this show is even about? Uh, I figured before we do that, we should probably, you know, talk about who's behind the scenes with this. Probably. Um, shall, shall we discuss the uh, the staffing people, correct? The, the Kappas who put the whole production in order. Yeah, yeah, sounds good to me. 
All right, so uh, for an English dub, you need two amazing individuals. You need an ADR director and you need a script writer. Uh, but for this particular production, because not only is it a crazy metaphor, Kappa desire, I don't even know what, um, there's also musical sequences in it. The characters. It's a fucking magical boy musical. They full on, like, this is as musical as you're going to get in any simulcast. And so we have got to talk about the music arranger that Funimation got for this production. And for that, um, let's talk about this. So the ADR director for this production is Tabitha Ray. Uh, Tabitha Ray's been around the directing block quite a bit. Uh, and the, recently, she's dubbed the dub for she's directed the dub for Surrey Children, Hanabad, and Goblin Slayer. Script writing, we bought in the one and only Clint Bickham. Clint Bickham has been around quite a while in both Funimation and the ADV slash Sentai area. Like you've heard his work on stuff like Welcome to the NHK, Gotchamon Crowds, and a personal favorite of Megan's, Suritama. It's only my second favorite script of his, well, third now, but we'll get to that. Keep that one on the down low. But for Music Arranger, this is a very distinct honor that we have. We get to welcome the one and only Dawn Bennett. Yeah. And uh, if you've wondered, like, what other musical stuff has she done in the past, uh, probably the most prominent thing that she's done recently is she was the Music Arranger for the music-tastic weirdness that was Pop Team Epic which also had a uh, whole lot of what in the world is this in it. Yeah, uh, for, uh, I was trying to sing a pop team epic song, but for some reason I'm blagging. <laughs> Let's pop <Yeah>. together. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm sorry, I will, never be, I will never be over fucking David Wald and Alejandro Saab singing Earth, Wind, and, Fi uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gigi, um, can you uh, tell us your impressions of this, uh, seeing as you're... Uh, uh, very seasoned on the Ikuharu bandwagon. Good lord, am I very seasoned? Alright, so you guys, Ikuhara is really tough to adapt um, because you have to make the repetitive performances interesting. If you've never seen an Ikuhara anime before, Sarazanmai is exactly like every other Ikuhara anime, except there's boys in it instead of girls, which means you're going to get a lot of repetitiveness in all of like the transformation sequences, and I'm using air quotes, and all the fight sequences. It's going to go over and over and over again until the ending ramps up to something that breaks you entirely. This is every Ikuhara anime. It's really hard to dub them. Um, it's hard to make the per repetitive performances interesting, and I think that Tabitha really did a good job directing the actors so that there was something new to listen to every time these um, sequences that were the same came up. Um, I also think that the pacing of the performances because of the huge ramp up towards the end was really good. Um, and from my side, 100% perfect casting. We'll talk more about that with the other people. Um, bless you, Clint, Clint Bickham. Uh, Iguhara seems to have two very separate fan groups. There are the fans who want to take everything as literally as possible with the Japanese version. And then there's ones that need to hear it dubbed so they can understand the concepts behind it more. Um, you can't take everything literally from the Japanese version. It's too much. Like, it's too hard. It's too difficult to translate. And so I think Clint did a really great job with getting things not lost in translation. 
Um, it needs to have the plot and the emotion and the pacing again to get through the repetitiveness. Um, and he has to add new things and you have to keep that Ikuhara rhythm again, literally the same as every other Ikuhara show. Uh, but here we go, fam. He translated the songs and he did a very good job at translating the songs. In the Japanese, there are also a lot of puns using the word otter and other words like that. And I love that he kept the puns in and made them more accessible to English speaking audiences. And uh, just FYI, there are more puns in the Japanese version than there are in the American version. So for those of you who didn't like the puns, they're in the original version. So there's that. I am so glad they had puns. I know I needed those puns real bad, especially during the fish episode where I wanted to die because I'm terrified of fish. And I was like, oh, I yeah, love I had to legitimately puns. be like, hey, Gigi, please be warned that episode three has a lot of fucking fish. <laughs> I know I was like watching it with my eyes closed. So I was like, OK, I can take the puns. They're helping. Um, <laughs> and Don and Don Bennett, it really helped here that a lot of singers were cast, um, but it was a good job directing the nuances in the songs especially like the one word that keeps changing during the the fight song or whatever time um, to uh, take back what i need yep. and they do like and, that yeah and especially with rayo when rayo sings the second song god god bless your direction there don thank you very much god bless you talk more about that we talk about rayo i'm done i'm gonna take back the mic and give it to somebody else now i mean it doesn't sound like anyone's uh disagreeing with this exactly like megan you were saying that the puns were like very appreciated i fucking love them this is like I, i'm not usually one for like bad puns but i i very much like them i want to i want to be like i want to be honest that i actually was just like this is an okay dub for the first seven episodes of the show i was like this is good this is solid i expected a little bit better at the beginning but then when episode eight onward went by i thought that the quality of the dub raised it from maybe like a b to an a minus level um i don't think that any there's one performance in this show i just i don't think it's it's just very jarring and i don't know what translation notes were given to tabitha as a director for that particular character I don't want to say who it is till we get to it to them. Um, I don't know if that that it was in the Japanese too because I think for that particular character, the joke was in the person who played him, and that's what made a lot of the shit funny. Because in the English version, they give this character a very very strange voice, where everyone else sounds relatively like normalish or like. A lot of the performance is a little bit more natural, especially um, someone who I really wasn't familiar with as an actor, like, really surprised me with how much I liked the performance uh, towards the end. I do think that Tabitha does a good job getting um, actors that she's used a lot. Uh, there, I've, I've watched at least three of Tabitha's other shows. Um, I didn't watch one because I just, I watched the first episode of it in Japanese and just immediately said... No. Um, I was like, fuck this show. And But I did want... I, I love Surrey Dairy Children. I like uh, her other dub that she did in Winter. I thought that was great. Uh, and that also had a really big dub song in the middle of it. Uh, so when I 
but I think she did a good job there. I think Dawn did a really good job with the musical arrangement. Are there sometimes I think that the songs sound a little rough? Yes. I was actually really surprised that they were able to dub the songs in a simuldub schedule. Yeah. Especially for how intensive the music is in this show. Like, I- it's- it's- in, it's intense. I will not lie that the Japanese version of the Otter song is my alarm clock noise. Get ready for that at- get ready for that at A-Fest, by the way. Does that come oh with, with, like, the sound effects of the office doors lifting up and everything? No, but it does come with the- the- the chanting in the background. Soya, soya. Soya, soya. Great. I, I, by the way, when I learned you played Rayo and Mabu in the Japanese, I got mad and almost threw my phone. Um, because that's just Rin and Sosuke from free. Um, God bless. Thank you, thanks, thank you, Ikuhara, and your casting team in Japan. Uh, but let's talk about like the actual MVP of this entire dub process, and that's Quint Beckham's script. Yay. This is a show. This is a show that was going to live and die by it by its adaptive script. This was. This is not a thing that, like, even even an actor could save with good acting. Like, if the script for this show was fucking awful, this dub would have tanked. And a lot of people don't think that about uh, scripts. Like, no, a bad script can tank a dub. Thankfully, this isn't one of them. <laughs> I mean, we have we have two other examples to work with. We have uh, to look at. We have you know Central Park Media's dub of Revolutionary Guerrilla Lutina and Sentai's coverage of uh, Penguin Drum, where it's like, yeah, great content, but not the best adaptive script. Okay, I will be the only one who will ever defend the Penguin Drum dub, because I really liked it, but this is not that podcast. Yeah. To be continued. I, I, no, I've sat, I've sat through, I've sat, like, let's be fair, like, I, I really enjoy the dub of Carnival, I hate the fucking script to it. Um, I hate that fucking script. Uh, or, or everyone knows how I feel about the free dub, at least... The, the dub of the first two seasons that I don't like the script of it. Right. Um, I, I think that the script absolutely helped to tank the fuck that fucking dub, among other things. Because uh, because it was and it was tone dissonant to what the show itself was actually going for, right? Yeah, and I've I've gone over that on on the episode we did for it. But this this dub is the dub script is really well done. And one of the other things I really want to say is I'm really appreciative of Clint Bickham's openness as he was writing this show. He was very active on Twitter about his process of doing this show. And I, I think one of my favorite things uh, that he ever said was, he's like, I'm the backup writer for the show, you know the girl who chants love beyond time, and that's my easy show. And if you know anything about the show, you know, it is a fucking train wreck. Um, so I I super appreciate this. I, I love this. This is my favorite Clint Bickham script now, which nudged out my other actual favorite Clint Bickham script, which is Token Rapu Hanamaru. Um... <gasps> Shocked. Kuma shock. shock. No, the script is really good. I thought he did a really good job doing what Gigi said. He made everything easy to understand. I watched the show every week in the Japanese because I did not want it getting spoiled for me. I also just really appreciate his way of getting fucking dish and otter puns into things. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of my- I think, like, Sarah has some of my favorite dialogue in the fucking show. <laughs> scalped it <laughs> like I, there's like one where she she i forget what the actual line is but there is one where um she and kepi are talking about making a machine to freeze Rayo and mabu and then she inevitably gets uh kepi frozen and there's just some really fucking great dish puns in that 
That was unexpected-ish. Like, that shit made me laugh, so. <laughs> Overall, I think this is a really, a really great, a really good dub. I do think that uh, home video singing, please, please read out the singing for home video and clean they'll, it up a little bit. They'll clean it up. They they have to. Please. Like, they, they've please cleaned clean up it. all the other ones. They'll clean up this yeah, one, too. Please clean up some of the singing in this one. <laughs> Not that it's not. I will say this though. This is probably one of the better dub so show, so shows with dub songs I've heard recently. So I'll agree. Jet, do, do you agree? Better puns, better singing in this. What What do you think? Oh yeah, I was uh, pretty happy with almost about everything here. Uh, I'm not like super familiar with Tabitha Bray's work as an AVR director since. Uh, Please go watch the Surrey Children dub. It's fucking great. It, it is. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, basically, I've seen like episode one of all her other dubs, like Surrey Children, Hanebado, and uh, that other one. Oh, you yeah. didn't watch her one from uh, Winter this year, did you? You should. Uh, which one was that? Was it the Catcho? No, that no, that was Jeremy Emin. No, it was a, a certain isekai time travel show. Oh, as a, that oh, show. Oh. Don't say what it is, cause don't say what it is. And this is getting out, cause I really still want to fucking do an episode on it. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I would do that. But um, okay. But anyway, uh, even though I wasn't like super sure what I was gonna get here, I was uh, pretty happy with what I got. I really liked her direction here, and I thought she did a great job of helping the actors balance between. Higahara's brand of absurd humor and all the really dramatic stuff beneath the surface. And I'd also say that bearing one exception we'll get to later, I thought the show was pretty well cast. And I thought just about everyone here did a really solid job. Uh, as for uh, Don Bennett with the music arrangement, I thought that was handled pretty well. Uh, like, uh, like... Uh, like, the singing levels of the individual actors are all, like, uh, I mean, we'll, I mean, I'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to all the individual actors. Uh, some sounded better than others, but on the whole, I thought the music arrangement was pretty good. I liked how the songs were translated. And, uh, so, and, um, and I have to admit, a couple of them really got to me in the end, especially the main Sauron Zombie song. I thought that was really well done towards the end. Uh, but of course, um... Uh, much like what Megan and Gigi were saying, the real MVP here is definitely Clint Pickett with the script. Uh, given how bad the track record with uh, translating Yukihara stuff has been until recently, I was uh, really glad with how he handled this, because, like we said before, Yukihara stuff can be really tricky to translate into English, since uh, it's not just the visuals that have a lot of crazy metaphors behind them, but also like a lot of the dialogue. And uh, this show in particular had a lot of wordplay puns, so it would have been really easy for an adaptive writer to screw this up, but Clint really stepped into the plate here. Pun not intended. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, I get uh, it. More of the puns, please. Yeah. And uh, he peppered this show's script with a lot with plenty of puns and good wordplay, and uh, he captured a lot of the double meanings behind individuals really well, while... Uh, so many to stay faithful to a lot of Yuki Hara's themes. And uh, it definitely couldn't could have been a really easy job for Clint, and uh, we definitely saw him express as much on Twitter, but he definitely deserves some serious props on this one because it was some really fine work for him. And uh, honestly, it's one of the best adaptive scripts I heard for this year so far in general, so uh, definitely a great job, Clint. And yeah, I think I'm done. Well, I think that this dub absolutely sucks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't have. 
Any other notes um, aside from what you guys added? Because um, as it kind of pointed out, there's a lot of double meanings in the dialogue, which Clint definitely caught on. And with uh, the directing for the actors, it's, it's always kind of like hit or miss for shows like this because this is kind of an artsy kind of show. And so you would think that it would lend itself to more like mature acting, like theatrical kind of acting, but it's more of, it really is more like an anime in the way that some of the tropes of the characters are. Like we have some, we have a pretty boy trope, we have a bad boy trope, we have some um, other tropes that we'll get to in a bit. And I think Tabitha directed all of them pretty well where they, they kind of bounce off of each other pretty well, especially episodes where they're in the same setting as one another. I'm not sure if I would say that this is better than Yurikuma because I thought that was also directed pretty impeccably, but I'd say it is just as well directed as Yurikuma. Um, I really also want to give props to Dawn for the music because all of her coverage of it is the kind where, like you were saying, Megan, I didn't expect this to get music covered. I kind of thought they'd go the Zombieland Saga route where they would just keep it in Japanese for the broadcast and get it covered. We don't even know if they're dubbing the Zombieland Saga song. Oh, I, I have my fingers crossed so much. I'm waiting for the rap. I'm waiting for the Rico rap to show up. Did Rico rap in Zombieland Saga? Uh, he uh, does the beatboxing in uh in Zombieland Saga, or oh, okay. at least um uh no, d uh Brina gets to rap. Brina, it's Brina and Caitlin, and then yeah, in like episode two, Rico, right? yeah, and then Rico does the Rico does the beatboxing in the back. Uh, I forgot about him. Okay. So yeah, everything these guys said, I'm fully gonna back them up on this one. This is actually I I didn't realize until you said it, Jet, but yeah, I do think this is one of the best directed uh, simul dubs or maybe just dubs in general that we've heard uh, so far this year. Uh, but I do want to give it props that a lot of the weirdness of this show uh, may just be for people who aren't familiar with Ikuhara stuff, because maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, this actually didn't seem as weird as I was expecting. Uh, it's less weird than Yuri Kuba, but uh, on the whole, I'd say the most accessible Ikuhara show is so probably Penguin Drum. Like, okay... <laughs> I wanted to say something about this. There's a lot of people who, like, wrote this off as being too weird for them. And, like, just weird for weird's sake. And I'll be real, the weirdest thing in this show is that they got away with showing a 14-year-old with weed in Japan. Yeah, that, I agree. Like, like that's, the, that's the actual weird thing to me. Because if you don't know anything, having drugs in Japan and getting caught's like a, a social death sentence. Like... You are more likely- I'm about to get a lot of flack in the comments for this. You are more likely to get off for having child porn than drugs. Yeah, they, cr they crack down hard on that. Yeah, like, they, they will outright erase you, you. And here's my thing, like, the sexual stuff in this show is nothing. Yeah. Like, like people, who, people who wrote this show off that it's too weird because it's sexual, and then go watch JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Golden Wind can kiss my ass. Because if you've watched JoJo's Adventure, Adventure Golden Wind, there is literally a BDSM villain at one point. So the show, the show isn't weird. You're just afraid that it's actually gay. So the one character who shows up who does have a BDSM fetish is just kind of like, meh, another Tuesday. Yeah, honestly, I was like, oh, that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> but everything Ikuhara does is gay. Why uh... are people so afraid of it? Because it's yeah. guys, not girls, and they can't fetishize it easily. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I mean, I was gonna, uh, I mean, you're most, wait, I was trying to think. 
I mean, I was going to say, well, wait, no, Penguin Drum isn't that game. And they're like, no, Penguin Drum also has lesbians in it. It's just not prominent. No, it, yeah, it's the, the least <laughs> subtle of it. Like, it's, it's yeah. like, I'm not saying there aren't people who fetishize gay men. Trust me, there are. Uh, I, it, like, trust me, there are. I'm bi. Don't think, like, I like BL too. And, like, trust me. But, like, let's be real here. People are, like, the average otaku is more likely to shit on this because it involves men being openly affectionate and gay, but suck up Yuri Kuma because they are more likely to fetishize lesbians. Trust me, I've seen it happen. I've seen someone literally shit on Yuri on Ice for being gay, and then ask me for a romance that's like Bloomin' to you. Oh my god. Which is a great show, it really is, but you're right. The... Which, no, I love Bloomin' to you, but I'm just saying double standard. Yeah, disproportionate, absolutely. So, for, yeah, for everyone who went into this, um, like, turned off by that concept of it. Um, honestly, I think this may be the more... Uh, I don't know if I could say this is, like, a good gateway for, like, the average otaku to be more accepting of homosexuality, but I do think that the staff who dubbed it were definitely showed they were comfortable enough with it that they, they didn't, like, uh, make side jabs at any of the content. Like, they played it, for lack of a better There's word. actually a really... There's a really great thread on Twitter about uh, the entirety of Ryu and Mabu's character arc being a huge criticism of the Japanese industry's the Japanese animation industries um, basically saying, hey, look, you want to make these characters gay, but if you do it, you're committing career suicide and nobody will like your product. You'll have to show that to me later. I will try to find it, because it's really well done, but I have some caveats with that thread. And that's only because I have to talk about male privilege. Fair enough. Well, speaking of male privilege, <laughs> that's not I'm for this. take the microwave away from you now. That's my male privilege. Oh, take the microwave away? Look, go, How did you go get in my house? Go mic, Noah. Let's go. Give me that. Give me that. <laughs> Why are you stealing my microwave, Noah? I need my burritos. And damn it, it's 11 o'clock at night. With that being said, we're going to shift over to um, a couple other characters. Um, so, obviously, there's some very prominent gay characters to talk about, and we'll get to them. Trust me, we will get to them. But before we do that, um, every one of the three main characters has a prominent sibling that shows up in the show, and we're going to take eh, just a 15 and a half minutes to talk about them. Um, first up, we have Haruka Yasuka, who is uh, the... Well, uh, just for lack of a better word, um, is kind of the the Shota character of the show. It's a very um, they're Koski's little brother. Yeah, it's, um, like kind of um, higher pitch sounding and very much a fan of a prominent idol in the show, who we will talk about in a bit. We also have Chikai Kuji, who is oh oh god, is he a bad boy? I imagine that Gigi has a poster of him on her ceiling because he commits some heinous acts like full-on criminal acts in the show and we just love he's killed a man we just love him to pieces for it and we also have um one uh slightly minor character but still prominent enough to talk about otone jinai who is the um who's a grade school i believe she's a middle school teacher and is also uh the older mm -hmm. sister of our good buddy um enta so yeah uh, we'll talk about these three for a little bit uh because their acting is actually all three of these characters sound really different from each other um for haruka we have allison victorin and allison victorin you've heard uh, i'm gonna pick three male roles that she's played in the past to give you an idea about what she sounds like playing a little boy she played shota in miss kobayashi's dragon maid she played young ame in wolf children and if you've been around at all in the otaku sphere you may have heard of a little show called case closed where she plays the main character of detective conan for uh chalk guy 
I'm sorry, is it Chiaki or Chiaki? Uh, Chiaki. Chiaki, okay, thanks. The, the extra A always throws me Or no, Chikai. No, it's Chikai. Yeah, yeah, yeah Chikai. Okay. Chikai is voiced by Chad Holbrook, who plays Goro in Meiji Tokyo Renka. He plays Toby in Fairy Tale, and he plays Brian in Overlord 3, all three shows which I have yet to see. You should watch the second one, it's really good. And finally, for Otone, we have Krista McGuire. She has played such roles as Hanabi in, I gotta add the exclamation points here, Keijo! There's a lot of exclamation points there. She plays Rin in New Game, and she plays Milam in That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime. I think it's Malim. Is it? Is I haven't seen that one either. Yeah, it's Malim, I think. Malim Nava. Okay. Um, so, actually, uh, Megan, can you tell us uh, anything prominent about these three characters? <laughs> Shit, I'm so sorry I keep trying to backseat host you because I've seen all these stuff. It's okay. No, you you have more prominent knowledge of this, and I need that. Please, give me your knowledge and your microwave. Stop trying to steal my microwave. Uh, no, I'll start off with uh, Otone. Krista McGuire's Otone is adorable. I think she got the big older sister vibe down really well. I kind of wish that this character would have shown up more. Um, I will say though in, I think it's episode yeah, episode 9, she has a really good moment between her and Kazuki where uh, after, because Enta gets in, in the words of Durarara du got fucking shot, <laughs> son. Um, <laughs> in medical terms, you got fucking shot, son. Thanks, Jerry Lowen, though. I'm so mad those bloopers aren't around anywhere anymore. I know, this pisses me off immensely. Um, she does a really good job there. Like I said, I, I think her performance was really solid for this. She never tries to, uh, she fits well into her place in the show. Uh, Allison Victorin as Haruka. Um, I think Allison does a good job playing a little boy. Uh, obviously Haruka is a little bit more feminine sounding for a male character. Um, he also was in Japan as well. Uh, if hold, give me one second. Thank you, Google, for finding this for me super quick. Um, we are not sponsored by Google. We're not sponsored by Google, but if we were, use buy, buy Google stock today. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't actually buy Google stock. Was it Rie Kugamiya? That's, yeah, it's Rie Kugamiya. Yeah, because Haruka is played by Rie Kugamiya, and Rie Kugamiya also sounds ultra fucking feminine as Haruka. Um, I think that Haruka does a really good job. I know in the la the last episode where Haruka uh, is talking to to the to the <laughs> I want to save I want to save this joke for when we talk about Cappy and Sarah <laughs> when he's talking to Cappy and Sarah and a, a certain joke I'm gonna make on the behalf of one horny Spartan. Um, I thought it was really sweet. They were really sweet. I know. God, in the flashbacks with Kazuki and his mom, just when he's on the stairs ye yelling at the mom to never come back, don't take my brother, bro. I thought she did a really good job. Um, she was solid. She was a lot like Kristen solid and fit well into her place. But I really want to talk about Chad Holbrook's uh, Chikai, who actually surprised me. Um, Chikai shows up a little bit in towards the beginning of the series, and you, you deal with him in the flashbacks. And he has a very, very strange... He has this very, very horrific arc of... I think the, the biggest thing is arc war, which is like... Um, 
good people die, uh, bad people survive, and yet he's the one who gets shot and dies. He's the only character that actually stays dead in this whole show that's, like, there- that didn't die in, like, the past. He's the only character that actually bites it. That matters, not, like, side character- like, not, like, background characters. And I thought Chad Holbrook's performance was great. This is an actor I am only familiar with in bit roles and, like, small- Like, Toby from Fairy Tale is a joke character, guys. Like, he's a weird joke character. Um, but his dramatic performance was really great, and I would very much like to see Chad Holbrook in more things. I thought he really matched the intensity of the show in the moments, and, uh, especially to the actor who plays Toy, uh, just an all-around really great job by all three, especially Chad. Sweet. Now, Gigi, um, do you want to hear Chad in more things? Boy, do I. (laughs) I know that was a given. Is he the one character that you really want to talk about in this section? Uh, yeah, basically. Um, so yeah, my only note for him that I wrote down was, "Yes, please step on me, you crazy villain, you." That quiet, menacing with without the over the topness was really a plus, <laughs> dude. That was pretty good. I approve. 10 out of 10. This character's hard because he's supposed to be really bad and he was really bad. So like you don't want to love him, but then at the end you like sort of kind of love him, but then you don't love. It's weird. This character's weird. We got got a thing for lovable bad boy older brother characters. (sighs) You know, I love the villains. The bad boys always win in the end. So it was... It was really good for me. I've actually never heard this dude do anything. So I was like, who is this? And I literally had to Google it. And I was like, I still don't know who you are. Like, I I also only know him for bit parts in other shows. I've never heard any of his roles where he was uh, a main character before. So I'm very, I'm very pleased. 10 out of 10 would bad guy again. Um, As for Allison Victorin, uh, I couldn't tell that Hargo was voiced by a girl. So that was very good. Uh, equal parts cute, tragic, mean, and baby, because he whines a lot. So I was like, that was good. Haruka is like a really complex character too. Like, well, all of most of Ikuhara's characters are very complex. And I was I gonna say, across, yeah, I thought it came across really well here in the voice acting. Um, and then for Otone, I really liked Kristen in this role. Um, I felt that she had authority, but also had the comedic bits down. So that was good. And that that's the end. I But I do not have him as the poster on my ceiling for the best boy. He's coming up. He's coming up. Well, your, your birthday's coming up, right? Now I know what to get you. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jet? Do you have a poster of this guy on your ceiling? Uh, no, but um, I'll start with Kristen first because I don't really have, like, I don't have any notes on her. But um, uh, I liked her oh, today. Uh, like Gigi and Megan said, I liked that she had a good mix of, like, uh, kind of doting older sister, like she could be, she knew how to put her foot down when she needed to, uh, but she could still be like really funny in moments. And um, I also liked her little bit in episode nine where she's kind of consoling Kazuki after it took a shot. I thought that was a really good dramatic moment for her. I do wish the character maybe had a little bit more to do, but uh, for what Chris had had, she did a really good job with it. Uh, moving on to Chad Halbrook and Shikai. 
Um, I'm also not really familiar with him, so I didn't really know what to expect, but on the whole, I thought he did a pretty good job. Uh, since Shikai is pretty deep in with the Yakuza, it's pretty fitting that he has a kind of mobster-ish tone to his voice. And I like that Chad adds that, since it kind of gives the character a little bit more of an edge. Uh, he didn't really have like a whole ton to do with the first couple of episodes, so I wasn't really too sure what to make of Chad's performance there, but... Uh, Chikai starts to come into his own a little bit more after he has a few run-ins with Enta. And I liked uh, how Chad's attitude was kind of snarky in those moments and how he kind of softens up his soul like maybe a little bit when he's telling Enta about how Toy kind of ended up throwing away all of his dreams for his sake. And uh, it kind of helped to get across the idea that, yeah, on some level Chikai really does care for Toy, but uh, his later actions also show that he wouldn't really hesitate to throw him away if he ever becomes an inconvenience. And uh, Chad's performance definitely uh, got across how ruthless that guy could be. Especially when he just killed that one dude who looked up, up to him as the brother. That was uh, pretty cold. Yeah, that was, that shit was like pretty fucking hard. That annoying guy who was like, aw, I hope he sticks around and nope. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, this was a pretty complex character. And while, uh, while I don't think Chad had maybe like the quite the same level of edge as Kendra Suda's performance did, but I mean, it's... It's Kenjiro Suda, so that's a pretty high bar to clear, and if you don't know who Kenjiro Suda is, uh, he, he's, you would probably know him as the voice for a little indie character, you know, Sato Kaiba from Yu-Gi-Oh. He's that guy. Wait, uh, what? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Japanese, yeah, Japanese Shikai is Sato Kaiba. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? That's a yes. completely different brother's relationship. <laughs> I gotta watch Japanese Seto Kaiba now. Hold on. He, and he will step on you. God bless. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, I would definitely like to see him in more stuff. I thought he did a good job. Uh, Allison Victorian, of course, I'm pretty familiar with, and I really adored her in this role. Uh, she's one of a handful of deaf actresses who could do like genuinely convincing child voices really well. And she did a really great job of making Haruka sound like a precious little cinnamon roll who could do all, who could do absolutely no wrong and just deserves all the hugs in the world. And uh, pretty much all her interactions with Kotsky's actor are like really great. And you can always tell how much Haruka really cares about his brother and wants to be close to him. And uh, of course that relationship turns out to be a little more complicated than it seems. And uh, while we do see it more from Kotsky's perspective, we do... Eventually, we see a little bit more of Haruka's, especially with all those flashbacks with Katsuki's real mom, and how Katsuki was kind of terrified at the possibility of being separated from his brother. And I thought Allison got all that fear across really well, especially with all the guilt Haruka was feeling for carrying on to that uh, Sache, I think it was, and just not ever telling Katsuki about it. And, uh, Sashi, Sashi. Yeah, Sashi, Sashi. Hey. <laughs> Uh, I mean, eventually they do kind of mend their relationship, and I thought that moment was really sweet. Uh, sadly, once that's done, there isn't, like, too much left for Haruka to do aside from being adorable, and, you know, I guess helping to literally spell out to show his message for everyone who didn't quite get it. But, uh, even if Haruka wasn't super important across the whole show, I really liked him, and I really liked Alex's performance. So, thumbs up for all three of these people. Nice. I wanted to say some like really awful pun about how it's really hard for Haruka to get a foot in this show, but I probably shouldn't. Please don't. don't. He's already been through enough. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, 
So um, we'll talk, I'll talk about Chris McGuire uh, really quickly because, like you guys were saying, Otone is um, someone who I kind of wish had been around a little bit more, but uh, for the bit parts that they wrote her in for, um, she, uh, Kristen fills the role really well. It's, um, it, it was interesting because every one of the, the families that we see seem to come from like some sort of shattered household, um, and Otone shows us uh, what things are like in the Janai household, and also Chikai shows us what things are like in the Kuji household. And so watching that, I'm like, huh, Kazuki has, uh, is the only one who comes from a normal household, and then in like episode three it shows like, nope, even his is a pr kind of a shattered household. Um, but yeah, Kristen's performance of that, perfectly good, exactly what I was expecting from that. And without, um, without like, mocking the character, like, they didn't make her ditzy or they didn't make her overbearing, they made her just the right amount of big sisterly. And I, I really don't have anything more to say about Allison that you guys didn't already add to it. it it's Allison. She, she's an adorable voice, and it, it's fun, it is fun watching her be tough for once. Like, I'm used to her character's shows where she's being... Uh, like hyper energetic and super happy, but not usually one where she's like Like telling people to go away like telling grown women to leave my brother alone So that was that was very rewarding to listen to and Chad's performance Look When you said mobster like yeah, that's pretty accurate because he does some things that you don't usually see any characters doing in an anime like I don't think I've seen this much law-breaking since we covered uh, Hatashi Tokotsu Ramens and that was like grown people who were doing it professionally. This guy's just kind of a punk. But honestly Chad pulls it off really well because he's got like this slow-witted with a slow with a low rumble in the back of his voice so it kind of it really shows like yeah this is the kind of voice of a person who you would expect to do this kind of attitude. Um, but they, they support, like, the three of them are good supporting cast to kind of flesh out the issues and the desires of the main characters, which we will get to in a bit. So for that, good job on the directing and good job on the actors for fleshing out our characters a little bit more. And with that, we shall move on to the next round. So, we were talking about some, um, some slightly weird things, which if you haven't seen the show, you're probably wondering, what is the show? I need to see this. And... Well, there are quite a few uh, weird characters in the show, some of them of which may actually be a bit supernatural. So let's, let's talk about some supernatural characters. Um, we're going to talk about two characters who, spoilers, turn both out to be Kappas. The first one is Sarah Ozma, who is uh, this idle spokesperson news anchor whose reports all say that Nobody, I think is was it that uh, only the Kappas can see her? I don't remember if that was actually written on. No, everybody in the town could see her. Is it the, okay. No, it was, um, all right, sorry, only the Kappas can see other Kappas, I'm sorry. But yeah, she's, uh, she's the one who basically has a lucky fortune at the top of every episode, which basically gives us our theme for every episode. So if you want to know what the, sh what the episode's topic is, just pay attention to her lucky fortune. And we also have the, um, the, Kepi. We have the Kepi who basically creates all of this from going on. Um, let's just talk about more about the characters when we actually get into the voice acting because I don't know any other way to describe them as characters. Sarah Ozma is voiced by one Sarah Wiedenheft, who you will know as Yuki from Interviews with Monster Girls, Okiku in Kinohana um, Kitan, and... Konohana Kitan. Thank you. I'm not Japanese and Kikyo in Classroom of the Elite, to name just a few. Kepi is voiced by 
a name that I don't, I, maybe has been talked about in other episodes before, but I haven't talked about him in a while, is Tyler Walker, uh, who I know more as, like, an ADR director from, like, shows from, like, 10 or so years ago, but he's done quite a bit of voice acting, too. Uh, more recently, you may have heard him as Odenta in Zoku Tenka Ranbu Hanamaru. Okay, shut the front door. Zoku Token Rambu Hanamaru. Oh my god. Noah, you come into my house, you steal my goddamn fucking microwave, you goddamn hip, I'm gonna fly up to Michigan, tie you down, and make you watch 24 episodes of Sword Boys. No! It's not that I don't want to, it's that I don't have any time! I'm sorry. I'm so How could you do this right in front of my salad? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was an accident. Please, master, please have pity on me. Back into the Chick-fil-A dungeon you go. Yes, please. To, to name just a, a couple other roles Tyler's done, he's also Baba in Hinamatsuri. And he was, and my personal favorite, he was best bo intern boss ever gang orca in My Hero Academia. Dang Orca is pretty fucking sweet. He is. <laughs> um, you know who else is pretty fucking sweet? Jet. Jet, tell us about what, who the heck are these people and why are they in the show? Okay, um, I guess I'll start with Sarah, who, um, as who, uh, it's something you might not know because it's only, like, in supplementary material, but, uh, there's apparently a prequel manga where it's revealed that Sarah was raised by Ryo and Babu, so that's a thing, apparently. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense when it is the concept of the show, but yeah, that's a thing, so... Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, going into uh, Sarah's actual performance, I don't have any notes on her, but I thought uh, Sarah did a really good job here. I like how she... I like how she didn't go like a... Uh, you know, like a stereotypical, like, super peppy idol voice. It's uh, something that's a little more low-key and kind of... Like, it's kind of spacey, but not in, like, a, like, stereotypical, like, valley girl way. It's just kind of surreal, in a sense. It's kind of hard to, it's, like, it's kind of hard to describe without, like, you know, actually listening to it, but it, I really like the way she sounded. And, uh, I like, and I liked how she bounced off of Tom's performance when it revealed those who were, like, actually a couple, which was kind of odd. Um... As I, uh, but, uh, yeah, I also really liked a lot of Sarah's delivery with all the random dish puns. I thought that was really funny. Uh, <laughs> she gets what, she gets the best puns. Yeah, uh, as for Tyler, gotta say, out of everyone here, Tyler was kind of the weak link for me in this dub. Uh, mostly because of going off of who played Kepi in the Japanese version. Uh, uh, okay, if you don't know, Kepi was played in the Japanese version by one Junichi Suwabe. And if you and if you have ever heard Junichi Suwabe, you would know that man has one of the sexiest voices on the planet. And while Ranger he doesn't, Gucci. and while he doesn't go Archer, yeah, and uh, while this is admittedly one of his wow. goofier, oh sorry, no, I'm just doing Victor's wow, yeah. Uh, and while this is, like, one of his goofier performances, there was still maybe just, like, a little bit of sex appeal in his voice in the Japanese version. And, uh, this, this is kind of lacking that. This is just uh, entirely goofy, which is, like, a little off-putting. Uh, I don't think the performance is, like, necessarily bad. I think Tyler Silver is, like, fine where it, where it needs to be. 
it's just kind of like really jarring considering what the joke probably was when Ikuhara cast a duty to Suami here. And uh, it doesn't help that when uh, we eventually do see Kepi's true form and he turns into a Michonen Prince, Tyler's voice doesn't really change much. And it still sounds a little goofy to me, so... Uh, yeah, on a whole it's not a bad performance, but it's it's probably my weak link. Um, GG, I, I want your input on the, the two Kappa characters. Kappa Kappa. Uh, Kepi. Felt it was odd for me, but somehow it worked. I thought he sounded like an angry old man who yells at clouds, which I think for the dub of the English version, I think that might have been the goal. Because, yeah, Junichi Suwabe, hello, Renjin Guji. There's your Udapri reference for this dub talk episode. Gotta get it in somewhere. Awesome. I was uh, missing that on my bingo card. Thank you. There you go. Now you can have a bingo. Uh, so, yeah, I felt that Kepi was all its own for the English version, which is fine. And it was good for that. Okay. Then Sada. Um, I thought she was a good idol slash magical girl. I feel that she is kind of a magical girl um, without resorting to an annoying voice that lots of idols and magical girls to me personally have in English. Um, I also really liked the scenes when um, Toei kidnapped her. <laughs> I, I thought, oh God, the little noises. Why won't you stay yeah, in there? I, I thought that was great. <laughs> that was the best. And then all the little dish puns, like, I think her character was written really well because it was hard to understand in the Japanese. So I thought that the English version with the dish puns made it easier um, to understand exactly what was going on with her. And yes, to get the themes of the episode. So you weren't as confused if you were confused as like it went on to the transformations and the fight scenes and everything. So I thought they both did a really good job. Just Kepi wasn't wasn't like the Japanese performance, but that's fine, because this was totally its own, so. Play Udapri Shining Live. Go see Majula of Kingdom in theater soon. Thank you. If it's in your, if it's a, please, Sentai, please. Are you sure we're not sponsored by them? No. We're, no, we're sponsored by Beer Brand Beer, remember? Yeah, I, I mean, if we are being sponsored by them, we're... Uh, currently talking about a show not licensed by them, so we're doing a pretty bad job. That's, we, we're just awful <laughs> sponsors, you're right. We're not on top of dish. <laughs> so wait, what do you say, Megan? Agree or disagree with Jet and Gigi? I, let's start with Sarah. I think that Sarah Wiedenheft's take on uh, Sarah was actually really uh, refreshing because Sarah's Seiyu was a lot more like your typical high-pitched idol voice. Uh, I, it's been a little while since I watched the sub, but I think Jet can agree with me there that she was a lot more what you would think of an idol character in the oh, Japanese. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so I actually liked it that she sounded a little bit more like... She was a, lo she was a lot deeper than the Japanese, but she wasn't like bass. She was just more like... Sarah Azuma here. It was kind of like the radio, like, appealing, like, news voice. Uh, I will say this, though. Thank you, God, Clint Bickham, you fucking kept the Otsumatsu reference that she makes. I didn't catch they do Yeah, they do, uh, the sheesh from Otsumatsu. Oh. She yeah. does the... Yeah, they do the sheesh, and there's an E.T. reference that she does, too. That I... 
That one's more on Ikuhara and, and Lap and Track and Mappa, but I appreciate the fucking E.T. joke. Um, as somebody- as somebody who has been to Universal Studios and as a child was traumatized by the E.T. adventure ride. As I was traumatized by most rides at Universal Studios as a child. <laughs> I- uh, Universal was not a park that I enjoyed until I was, like, in my 20s. <laughs> Mostly because I- I was afraid of most everything at Universal Studios for the longest time. Dude, E.T. is terrifying. I am also deathly afraid of E.T. <laughs> like, E.T. E. is- E.T. and fish. E. Just, God, E.T. is- E.T. is kind of, like, mildly creepy. Is E.T. an isekai, by the way? No! Uh, I hate E.T. I'd say no, but hold on a second. What's our definition? We, we need a whole podcast about just that. Uh, anyway, I guess. No, I guess. Oh my god, not, let's keep going. I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm like derailing from this. No, I think that Sarah did a good job. I I, I adore her little her little kappa noises. <laughs> Where Toei's trying to like kidnap her and she's just like. And she like that. Also, being kappa Sarah is so cute. I want to- I don't want a plushie of Cappy. I want Kappa Sarah! The, you just know they're gonna make those. The, there are some fan art- They- they made- they made the three boys as Kappa plushies and their hands are magnetized so you can make them hold hands! No! Ah, that's Apparently that's a thing that they made and, and I And they're completely them. sold out everywhere. Like, uh, thank god this boomed in Japan. Thank you god- thank you Jesus for merch. Um- Thank you, Jesus, for crap tons of merch. Um, so, I I really like Sarah, but let's talk about Kepi. Oh, God. Um, I don't know what the translation notes were for Kepi. I don't know if Junichi Suwabe was instructed to do a strange frog voice. He's not a frog! In Japan. He's not a frog! How dare you! Take, he'll, he'll take out your asshole! Also, I would like- I also think that Tyler's also Keppy! Which, god, boy howdy, the last fucking episode of this show is, is a- it's a ride. That- I- I need to talk about that character after- I just- Jesus Christ. But, um, Tyler's performance comes off as jarring. In English. Like, it feels like it's for a different show. It feels really cartoonish. It feels a it feels out of place compared to everybody else's performance. Yes, there are over the top moments in it and stuff, but like he just feels like they just shove that that square peg into that round hole. And yes, it fills it. It it will solidly block most things trying to get in. But something just feels off about it as an English listener. Like it does not feel like it is part of the show. It feels like it was edited in from another one. And I don't think it's bad, I just don't know why it's like that, and I'm, I i don't think I'll ever know, because I'm not part of the direction team, and I don't have access to the translation notes. It also comes off really weird when they sing, because he just sounds like he has to do the voice and sing, so it just sounds really warped and weird. Um, but I actually did kind of notice a difference when he turned into my, my little Kepi, because, god damn, do, 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 your actual form, Kepi and Sarah look like some weird druggy My Little Pony. It was yeah, that that full form. Dear Prince Kepi, dear Prince Kepi, I've got a Glock. Um, 
Thank you, Andrew, for telling me that Kepi looked like a fucking My Little Pony. Um, you're welcome. I got it in. Well, here's my question for you, Megan. Is there another voice or another character you've heard in a different show that you think would fit better with this character? I don't know. I think that Tyler Walker was a fine choice for it. I just don't know why they had him talk like this. Yeah, uh, but... Like, it, it's one of those, like, it's like, I, I understand, like, I actually, like, I did do predictions for this show. I actually thought Cappy was going to be Ian. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was thinking Ian or J. Michael Tatum. Tatum. Yeah, like, I wasn't expecting Tyler Walker, but, like, I'm not mad that he is. I actually, I actually, that's one of the things I like is that they didn't go for, like, the super obvious choice on this. Um, let me, there it is. I was like, where the fuck is my, my list of, like, spring shit? There it goes, spring dubs. Because I, I did get a couple of things right. Um, I did. In predictions, like, uh, I definitely got that Sarah was going to be Sarah Wiedenhoff. I got that, um, I'm, I, there are other questions that, uh, characters that we haven't gotten we'll, to. We'll talk about those when we get to them. We'll talk about them soon. Um, but I I do think that Tyler's performance just... I, I don't think that he was the, the wrong choice for actor. I don't think that at all. I just am very curious to why they had him talk like this. Why do this voice with this performance? Was it something in the translation notes? Was it something that they just thought was a good idea? I, I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it works for me personally. It sounds like uh, the preferred way to handle this would have been something a little more sexy and slightly more alluring as opposed to... The yeah, because, like, I'm not going to lie. Like, one of the funniest jokes in the Japanese is when Kepi is literally yelling pole dance. <laughs> and, like, half the joke, at least for me, not knowing if they were going to do a, a, a joke was... was was that, oh, this is Junichi Suwabe, an actor I literally equate with, like, characters that make people squeal like the Beatles are in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'll tie this back into uh, another character who uh, we've talked about before, because um, I kind of liked uh, Tyler's take on this, and I, it may be a minority opinion um, for two reasons. One, I liked it because I didn't know that the original version was, um, uh, was you know, sexy pants himself. Um, and so maybe that uh, just made me more okay with the way that they handled it. But also, um, we've talked about a show before called Prison School, where uh, one of the characters, Andre, voiced by Sunny Strait, has like this weird bubbly voice to him. And I was okay. It works with the character design. That's why. Well, I, it did, but some people didn't like it because they thought it didn't like. They, they thought it was too weird. Um, and because Kepi is a character that you know, you know, asshole shoots everyone and has, and he's like pulling on this Japanese card and he's always expositing the lesson of the episode. I, I thought weirder was okay for that because he's allowed to be the weirdest of them all. Every other character is rooted in a very human place of existence. Everyone else has human desires that they're coping with. And even though they're put in these weird abstract animation situations where you have to, sh you have to extract anal beads of desire out of people, their <laughs> desires themselves are pretty still, uh, they're understandable. They're just presented in a weird way. So Tyler's didactic and kind of British sounding accent didn't really clash with me. It just made it, it made him sound less I'm sorry, more alien than everybody else, which it kind of explains the character. My other thing, though, is, like, 
why why would they have him do it, but they wouldn't have Sarah do it if Sarah's also a Kappa, and it's kind of the worst kept secret in the show? Um, the way I describe that, and this kind of ties into what Jet was saying about the way that she speaks, is that she's got this very alluring, almost supernatural way of speaking. Um, I actually could not tell it was Sarah Whedon have listening to it. And may- maybe she's done shows before with the lower voice that I just haven't seen before. But I always equate her with, you know, like the Toru voice. So listening to this, I-, I put down like the least recognizable Sarah's been to my own ears. It's like she traded out her regular higher pitched Sarah voice for a Wendy Lee voice because it sounded very much like the lower po- voiced characters that Wendy Lee has played in the past. And I think it's, I think it's good. Like I, I like how um, alluring it is. How, like, I can definitely see young kids t- tuning into this for their fortune because she's just so otherworldly. So the, they're two halves of an otherworldly duo that are just directed to sound very different from one another. But that's just, like, my opinion, man. And, yeah. you know, what, if you liked it or if you didn't like it, that's okay because they are too, the whole show is too abstract and too weird for anyone to fully understand what it is. Speaking of abstract and weird, I think it's time that you guys put on your ponchos. Oh god, is it about is it about to rain, men? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's time to it's time to desi- get out the donuts. No, it's time to let desire flow and never let it go. Let it go. Straight. <laughs> Sounds utterly sexy meta- to me. A metaphor. Let desire flow. Never let it go. Everybody, when they saw Rayo and Mabu's character design for the first time, God bless. Um, They're just going to fucking even jump. the guys. Yeah. Yeah. Every guy Even out the there. dudes. Every duo. Dudes, guy. not NBs, intersex, everybody. Let desire flow. Never let it go. I don't judge. Even <laughs> unless you're ace, then it's your then then you good too. We all valid here. Thank you Gay for coming. Cop I, anime. Gay cop anime. I like I literally had to describe this as Ikuhara does a gay cop show to Gigi to get her to watch it. <laughs> no, that's not true. I was the one who wanted to watch it first, but I thought it was only about gay cops. And I was like, this is gonna be the best show ever, and then it was about like little kids turning into Kappas, and I was like, Where's the gay cops? I felt like I was lied to. Then I found them. Gigi got cooked. <laughs> <laughs> so you're probably wondering, like, what the hell are you people talking about? We're, we're gonna move on to an utterly sec- We are talking about a concept. There is, uh, in this show, two main characters who are cops, as you may have gathered, that also happen to be gay for each other. And they, they, uh, they, they sing, they kill, they dance, and they gay for each other. And they also love baking. I was gonna say they bake, too. They are. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> In case you don't know, baking is a metaphor. <laughs> they, no, they eat those otters cakes. Mm, I don't know. They're... Yeah, but baking's a metaphor for something else in this show, especially when it involves batter. He pulled out a little too soon. His endurance could use some work. Oh, oh my god, god I just got that. There's batter everywhere. <laughs> Let's talk about Mabu and Rio. Um, Rayo! Rayo. Ario Speedwagon. And that otter. Rayo rhymes with Gayo. And Dayo! And we also got to talk about their their buddy otter. Uh, I'm just going to call him Dark Otter because that's how he calls himself. It was like. The sexual harassment otter. Just the yeah, sexual. Uh, the dark sexual harassment otter. Is it, yeah, uh, I, I couldn't remember if he had a. I couldn't remember if he added a name in the Japanese version. I think it was supposed to be. 
Like I like I know they use the word Uso a lot, and I think it's supposed to be some kind of double meaning, but I don't know. Because Uso means lie, I think, in Japanese, that's why. Yeah. Also, like, he's voiced by, like, I think, like, Kazuya Kiryu from Yakuza in Japan. That would be a whole other layer. <laughs> I I just lovingly call him the- ch I think he was, like, uh, the chief otter of science or something was his name. Call him whatever you want. He, he's got- he's- he kind of twists up the entire show. Like, he makes everything go wrong. Sexual harassment otter. The bad- <laughs> bad touch otter. So, um, so you got these characters who are, um... Well, very camp and over the top. Um, who are you going to get to voice them? For Mabu, we got Damon Mills. Uh, Damon Mills uh, has been Lin in Hakata Tonkotsu Ramens. He's Jugo in Nanbaka. And he is, I am going to mispronounce this because I'm not only not Japanese, but I'm not German either. Kai von Glansreich in The Royal Tutor. Yeah, you so got soft. it right. Rub, rub. So soft. Rub, rub. Maybe I am German. Ferreo! Did I get that right? Yes. Yes. This time. Ferreo is... Vo okay, keep your panties on, GG. Voiced by Ian Sinclair. <laughs> Yay! Who is the badass himself... I'm sorry, not the badass, but the, the bastard himself. Dallas, Genoard, and Bacchano. Uh, Sosuke and Free. And Sosuke? oh, oh, oh! One of our favorite shows ever. He's Atsushi in First Love Monster. Yay! Uh, Don't why? take me back! Don't take me back, you bastards! Um. Oh yeah, and there's also a Dark Otter. Um, and he's voiced by <laughs> he's voiced by Chris Guerrero, who um you've heard in stuff like um Double Decker as the narrator, and you've heard him in shows like Luck and Logic as Quetzalcoatl. So, um... Wow, you actually... Wow, somebody else who can pronounce Quetzalcoatl besides me. Only because I, because I felt bad after we did the, the Dragon Maid episode and I couldn't pronounce Jamie's character properly. So I had to go out and relearn how to pronounce Quetzalcoatl. So anyways, uh, Gigi, I want to hear your thoughts because, oh man, the gay will flow. <sighs> it's the reason to watch this anime, y'all. Um, Even though they're, they're kind of awful people in some points of the show. I don't care. This is why I watch and I will stand by this. This is why the dub is as good as it is. Uh, let's talk about the otter. Equal parts creepy and punny. Menacing as it should be. Good job, Chris Guerrero as some rando otter. Look, I don't really like that otter. Like that otter was really mean and he caused drama for my children. Rayo and Mabu so he needs a step so I guess that's good that I don't like him okay let's talk about Mabu really quickly okay so this is Damon Mills to be fair before I had seen the anime I predicted Damon Mills and Ian Sinclair for Rayo and Mabu but I had them switched oh. it's okay they can switch it's okay oh god damn it <coughs> oh Bacon's dead now god don't die we still got 30 minutes left. <laughs> um, so once you get to know Mabu, like at the beginning, he sounds oddly robotic, but you learn why he sounds oddly robotic throughout the anime. Um, but I thought it was really dark. And I love it when Damon Mills plays really dark, sexy characters. Um, he just recently did it in This Boy Suffers from Crystallization, which you should all go buy from our friends at Kuma Holdings. See, also not sponsored. Um, 
I also thought that the singing was pretty good, and I don't think I've ever heard him sing before. Oh, God, was it good? So, I really loved it. I like Damon Mills in practically everything. He does so much. He is still a wizard, guys. He is a wizard. But as for Rayo, give this man a fucking award. God damn it. Will somebody please give him an Oscar? Um, this reminded me very much of Lawless in Sir Vamp, which is one of my favorite Ian Sinclair performances of all time. Except instead of him pining and screaming over the loss of a girl, he's pining and screaming over the loss of his partner, boyfriend, cop. Oh. It's it's his love. It's like, okay, like, let's not beat around the bush. They are fucking married. Yes. Oh. My god so iguhara anime have a tendency to break me but usually it's the very last episode or in the case of penguin drum the last 13 episodes that make me like ugly cry sob no 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 no. episode 10 with reo and mabu i was literally like on the couch started the episode by the end of it i was on the floor in a ball sobbing texting my boyfriend like <laughs> like we were gonna watch this together and i'm really glad that we didn't because he would be like girl you a sobbing mess over fucking gay cop ian sinclair i'd be like yes yes i am Give him a fucking Oscar because this tore me up inside in like the best and worst ways. And also when Ian sang the utterly sexy cop song was okay for him. Like I know he sung in show by rock, which I haven't seen the whole thing, but from what I heard it was just okay. But when he sang the Sarazan Mai song, the fight song, holy shit. Can somebody please let me buy that on iTunes because you have the utterly sexy Soya Soya as your ringtone. Oh my God. I would be in the car 24 seven playing the status on my Ian version over and over and over and over and over again. So, uh, it's just the best. This is the reason to watch this anime. You guys, this is the reason right here. Rayo and Mabu. It's what got me into it. God bless. Uh, Jet. Now, uh, uh, do, 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 do you have any thoughts on Chris Guerrero before I go? I already, I talked about him briefly at the beginning. Did, didn't uh, like him. I did uh. like him. I just thought his character was, like, mean and I, yeah. So he did a good at being a bad guy. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, alright. Um, so I'll start with, uh, David Mills as Mabu since, um, he doesn't do quite as much talking in the beginning for reasons. Uh, David Mills is usually a pretty hard man to pin down when it comes to how he'll sound at any given show. But uh, this one was definitely him using his normal voice or something close to it, I guess. So it was actually pretty easy to pin him out. Uh, anyway, he didn't have uh, too much to do in the first few episodes aside from Sing, since Mabu's again kind of on the quiet side. And I gotta say that, uh, no offense to Damon, but uh, out of the entire cast, I gotta say his singing was probably the weakest for me. I mean, I guess by being fair, it seems like Mabu's singing is kind of, like, intentionally supposed to sound a little muted compared to everyone else's, since, again, the characters are really supposed to have emotions, but it just never totally clicked with me. Uh, but, uh, speaking of that whole, uh, lack of emotions thing, that's, uh, mostly how Damon plays the character for a lot of the show. Uh, since we're supposed to be under the impression that Mabu somehow lost his emotions when Otter revived him, and that uh, Damon plays him as sounding, you know, very reserved and kind of robotic. But of course, we learn later on that Mabu hasn't really lost his emotions, but he just had to pretend like he did. 
And uh, when he finally gets to convey his true feelings to Rayo and tell him that he loves him, Damon packs in like just the right amount of emotion for that one line to just say pretty much everything about how Mabu feels, and, uh, and I, I just I really love that scene. Uh, but of course, Ian, uh, oh boy, Ian. Uh, <laughs> uh, so while Mabu is pretty muted for both of the show, Rayo is definitely like the most emotional of the two, and uh, that guy is a mess. Uh, from his shark teeth to his rough attitude, pretty much everything about Rayo just kind of, like, immediately screams bad news. And, like, in the first few episodes, Ian just kind of gives him a bit of, like, an edge that makes him seem, like, really dangerous. Uh, but, of course, uh, we learn as we get a little deeper into the show that Rayo's kind of, like, mostly driven by his relationship with Mabu, who he doesn't really treat all that well. And Ian's performance kind of switches between sounding, you know, very condescending and dismissive of Mabu whenever they're alone to, you know, being angry at him for not acting like how he used to. And there's like this perfect mix of rage and loneliness in Ian's tone that always just feels really believable. And uh, things get especially bad when Rayo eventually learns the truth about why Mabu is acting the way he does and when Mabu dies in front of him, the way Ian flips out, it's just, it just really does a lot to get across how much pain Rayo is in and it just really made me feel sorry for the guy. Uh, you know, despite the fact that he's possibly a pretty corrupt cop. Uh, but, you know, I'm happy that uh, he and Mabu got a pretty happy ending, which surprised me a little bit for an Ikuhara thing, but, eh, hey, it's cool. Uh, as far as his singing goes, I gotta say, I liked it a little more than Damon's, but it kind of had the opposite problem for me, in that his singing sounded like it had a little bit too much energy put into it. And when it bounced off of Damon's, it just never quite managed to harmonize for me as well as it needed to. And it's kind of a shame since I really did the lyrics of the song. Uh, and that's the, like the, it's far from the worst thing I've had, I've heard, but compared to what the Japanese track had to offer, I kind of leaned a little bit more towards that. But uh, like Gigi was saying, I did like Ian a little bit more with the, his version with Sarah's on my song, I thought that was very good. Uh, but, uh, of course, I'm mostly here to talk about Chris Guerrero as the author, and, uh, while I'm not, uh, too familiar with a lot of Chris Guerrero's other work since I'm not, you know, an Overlord guy, I liked what I've heard of him and other things, and this is probably my favorite role of his yet. And uh, since we don't get to see Otter until, like, halfway through the show, uh, Chris just mostly has to sound, like, really intimidating and sinister for the first few episodes, and to his credit, he does a really great job of that. And I kind of dug how much his tone of voice is kind of reminding me of like a classic Disney villain, like uh, maybe like Jafar or Shere Khan or something like that. And uh, when we actually get to meet the author, though, Chris's performance kind of shifts from sounding, you know, very diabolical to something, you know, maybe a little bit more manipulative and seductive. And the way he just manages to twist Rayu and Mabu around his little fingers just kind of helps to add to the idea that this guy can just kind of manifest and distort your deepest desires at will. And uh, even then, there's still like a just enough of an end to his voice that you never doubt Otter only has like the worst intentions. And while he never gets like any serious comeuppance in the end, uh, seeing him eventually go down was pretty satisfying. Uh, especially that whole bit where he just kind of briefly got into a whole battle of the bands with the main trio and Chris Guerrero like just maintained that vo voice of that sort of voice while having to sing, like, that, that destroyed me, that was really funny. And, uh, I guess it just really kind of helped that at this point, Ikuhara has become self-aware enough that he just literally had the honor come out and just basically say he's a concept. And uh, that definitely helped to make him a little bit more entertaining to me. 
I guess on the downside, I had a little bit of a harder time picking that just what exactly the honor was supposed to represent. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about because, um, like, for these two characters, they're the ones I had the most difficulty understanding. Like, I understand that they're battling in the show with, uh, like, their own relationship with each other. Like, it sounds like one is more in the closet than the other. But, yeah, what did you think the otter represented? Like, was it temptation or was it a desire to appear normal? I mean, what was it? Uh, my, we don't know. Uh, oh, again, we don't know for certain because, as the otter himself says, he is but a is a concept. Uh, but I thought it was supposed to be something about how like self gratification of desires and like seeking immediate self satisfaction can kind of harm your connections with the people you care about or something like that. Uh, but uh, either way, I thought uh, the otter was a really fun villain. And that Chris Guerrero did a really great job of that. Now, um, Megan, um. What is the concept? The concept is capitalism is evil and will take all of your desires and distort them until it kills you. Okay, uh, we're um, definitely not getting sponsored now. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Cap. Fuck you, Bezos. Fuck you, capitalism. Uh, 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 okay, I mean, I mean, yeah, they literally do have not Amazon in this show, so. Capazon. <laughs> Boxes, boxes. Not to mention that the show escaped Amazon jail thanks to the Noe Tamada deal expiring, so <laughs> thank you, Jesus. So I'll start with Chris Garoa first as <laughs> the sexual harassment otter who has my single favorite line in the entire fucking show. To which I shouldn't have laughed as hard as I did at this, but it was mostly because of Chris's delivery and it was kind of amazing, is... After the otter tells uh, Rayo, oh no, tells Mabu what he must do because Mabu gets brought back, but his heart is a bomb. And if he says, I love you to Rayo, he will explode on the spot. <laughs> I'm sorry, like a crying noise went on in the background of someone's sound. So I said that. It's like, it was like, no! Um, which is every fangirl. Uh, so. After that, he goes, tell me that you get, like, he basically is like, tell me you'll get rid of him. And uh, Mabu does in the sad voice. And then the otter basically transforms into Rayo and leans over him and goes, I think we're in need of a private baking section. <laughs> and I about lost my mind on the couch. I was like, oh my god, they are fucking. Um... <laughs> This otter has had sex with him multiple times. As as his boyfriend, by the way. Like, which is even more fucked up. Like, Jesus Lord. Um, but Chris Guerrero also gets to sing, and that was great. Because uh, the otter does <laughs> sing in the last episode. And I thought he was fantastic. I just love that this... Chris Guerrero, like, I haven't watched Overlord, but I've watched enough clips of Overlord to know what Ainz sounds like. And this is, like, Ainz from Overlord taken to a, like, level 100 sex appeal. Which isn't bad, and I fucking love it. Um. Like, I'm not gonna lie that between him and Damon when they're doing those underground baking sessions, which are very clearly a metaphor for sex. No! Like, no, no, no. that is just they are fucking in the underground. Um, he is filling that. Su he is pulling that train into the station. Um, letting off all the passengers. Uh, <laughs> God damn it! 
<laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> okay. Are you guys okay? No, I have no water. God damn it. Well, everybody dies over here. I'll keep talking about metaphors and abstract concepts. Um, I think that I thought that Chris was great. I thought Chris was a really fun member of the ensemble. Uh, I believe I actually got when I did my predictions for this show. Let me pull them back up. There we go. I actually did get both uh, Rayo and Mabu right. I I said that it was going to be Ian, Ian and Damon. Or I, my other thing was I had a figure. I had a feeling that they were a couple. So my backup predictions were actually Brandon and Tatum. Oh, that would have been really good. Or conversely, because... not considering what the characters go through. <laughs> yeah, like. I will say this though, one of the things I really do appreciate this is that uh, Mabu is played by an openly gay man. Yay! That is something I genuinely very much like about this. It is really nice to see a gay person play a gay character in this show. Um, I don't know about Ian, so I'm not going to assume, but I know that uh, Damon is open, is out, so that's why I'm saying this. Um, I thought Damon does a really good job, and one of the things I really want to compliment uh, Damon's performances on this is that he sound Damon was in a lot of shows in spring this year, um, and all of his performances sound different from each other. Because uh, he was on, I'm trying to think of all the spring shows that I was on. Uh, Most, he was no, in no, that's the big one I'm thinking of. I think there is another show that he was on. That's why, hmm. and I don't know what it is. Um. But no, he sounds- Mabu sounds so completely- like a completely different person plays him as compared to Chika. And I do think that Chika is the better performance of the two of them, just out of personal preference. Like, I have a lot of really nice things to say about Kono Oto towards the end of this year. Like, it is one of my favorite dubs that came out. Um, I love that he plays Mabu like a doll, as somebody who is clear- like- Watching the dub after watching uh, the Japanese of this and knowing what the story was, it really did inform my uh, inform what was going on uh, through Damon's performance. Where I don't think Damon necessarily knew. I know that Kazuki's actor was watching the show as it aired in Japan. I know he was watching it as it aired because I, I follow him them on Twitter. Okay. Um, but I mean, there's a good chance the, that. The uh, the Japanese had given um, Funimation given ample notes and shit, yeah, and or uh, or Clint put them in in the notes for his writing. Could have been. Um, I think that he played Mabu with a reservedness of somebody who is trying to hide something, like a lot of th people are in the show. He has to hide that he's he he's he's actually Rayo's Mabu, and he's in love with him, but he will die otherwise, and he's very stilted. He's very doll-like, uh, but when he's in those uh, baking sessions, he you can hear the sex, the sexual aspects of the moaning and stuff. Um, I do think that da Damon admitted, if I'm correct, that he hasn't sung in a simul dub before. Um, I do think that his singing is a little bit rough. Uh, I think that it can be can be worked on for home video. I'm not gonna knock him too hard. Um, moving on to Mabu, uh, sorry Toreo. Um, Rayo is played by Mamoru Miyano in the Japanese, and a lot of oh, times- Oh, shit. I did not know that. Yeah, that's- uh, also, um, yeah, so Rayo is Rin from Free, 
And Mabu is uh, Hosoya Husosuke. I can't believe Tokyo plays fucking Ryo. I'm going to watch it again in Japanese now. Uh, their singing is also very good, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about uh, Ian. I think Ian as the character... Uh, somebody on Twitter said that they that Ian plays Ryo way too campy, and I don't agree with no. that at all. No, no, no I think I think... No, I think he plays Ryo a lot more open about his emotions and a little bit more aggressive... But that's not a bad thing to me. Rayo does go through a lot. One of my absolute favorite shots in the show is after he's done this, like, happy dance in the street, which I think is a shout out to an American movie. Somebody actually put the clip side by side somewhere and I have to find it. Um, that he catches the otter basically molesting Mabu and he has this wine bottle and he smashes it against the wall. And it's one of my absolute favorite shots in the show. I think that Ian does a great job playing Rayo so openly emotional and erratic because Rayo goes all over the fucking place. Um, especially towards, I think his performance, especially in the arcs that really focus Rayo and Mabu's characters are a lot stronger than he is towards the beginning of the show where they kind of just show up to create zombies and fuck off. Um, his performance at the end of episode 10 where he uh, is going wild is really well done. I do like the fact that he didn't try to be Mamoru Miyano. Um, do I think this is necessarily one of the strongest takes in a Mamoru Miyano character in English I've heard in the last couple years? No. Um, I do think that sometimes when Ian sings, he gets a little too out there in comparison to, to, to Damon's Mabu. But I do really like the performance. I do think it is very well done. I think it's well crafted. It's not my personal favorite in the show. Um, but I do think that it really did hurt when it needed to. Because trust me, I knew it was coming in episode 10. And oh, I God. still was getting worked up. I was still getting worked up in English. Like, I, I cried when I watched the Japanese. I didn't cry in English mostly because I was afraid my dad was going to come out and laugh at me. Because... Um, where I watch where I watch a lot of Funimation shows is out on our like nice TV that has the smart TV app and my parents' room is like right behind it. That's why. You have a great discussion after that. <laughs> oh, thankfully they never walked out while I was watching the show. Thank God. Um there's a there's a really funny tweet I made when I was watching the episode one dub at like two in the morning. And I was like, Alright, good, my parents are asleep, it's one AM and uh, our good friend Cerulean goes uh, if you've ever seen Spongebob, this is a quote for it. It's like, who watches uh, Ikuhara at 1am? Oh boy, 1am! Who eats Krabby Patties at 1 in the morning? Oh boy, 1am! No, I think it's the best uh, time uh, to watch that. I'm I'm good. I think they're both very solid performances. Uh, go ahead, uh, Noah. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add that you guys didn't have because um, I, I do want to say that in terms of like what the characters represent, like, the entire elements of what, like, what the temptation is. From the dub itself, it sounded like they were, they were supposed to represent, like, a flip side to the three main characters when you, when it goes wrong. Like, it's sort of like an analogy of if you let, if you don't connect to people, which, because all the titles start out with the phrase, I want to connect, these two characters did not connect to each other and it kind of broke them. Like, they had feelings for each other, but they did not allow themselves to be uh, connected to each other so that is like an example of don't do this like don't hide your love for someone like as long as it's consensual let that be let, let that desire flow as their song goes never let it go noah never ever let it go 
Um, Chris's uh, Chris's voice is perfectly fitting for this kind of like evil, tempting, Faustian kind of voice to the character, and I do I do love. Um, I do love the voice, but I don't exactly like all of the otter puns that he gets. Um, like, I love puns. They're in the Japanese. I know. They're, actually it, they're, they're actually worse in, in the Japanese. In ja- yeah. Believe it. And, that, and I, I'll, it's not that this is a bad adaptation then, because if it was a bad adaptation, they probably would have, you know, not been faithful to the Japanese. But I don't like that choice. Like, there are puns in the show I love. Like, I love it when Sara has, like, there's an episode where the, the lucky fortune is Soba, and so she finishes off with Soba bye. And I was like, ah, I love that so much. That's really good. Uh, the, Thank you, Clint. I- yes. But the otter puns were just getting over the top. Like, there's only so many t- ways you can say utterly amusing, like, before it starts to get a little grating. But that's not, that has nothing to do with the adaptation, because, yeah, like you're saying, it was in the Japanese. So, Chris, for having awful, awful otter puns to work with, and for tempting people into secret baking lessons, good job on you, ma'am. Um, I, I didn't really um, catch on that Damon was supposed to be um, dead, uh, or more robotic throughout the show, because I'm really used to shows that have a straight character, and, lack of a better term, a straight man character, and, like, they're... Uh, they're more manic foil that they work side by side. So having Damon be more of the straight man to Ian's spastic self just seemed more archetypal than anything else. But, um, yeah, I don't really think it bugged me too much with uh, it being, like, too robotic or not being able to emote enough, especially not in the singing portion of it. Like, I thought they harmonized well enough, and there is something to be said for rough singing, like how charming it can be like you can get the sense that it's not supposed to be super polished it's not supposed to be a stage performance it's supposed to be more like buddies jamming out at a karaoke session which is what i got out of this more than the um you know like something that i would pay uh stage bucks for and ian ian is just awesome as ian uh, I don't really think there was uh, anything that was too over the top. If uh, if you, you had people who were saying it was too campy, I thought it was just campy enough. In fact, I think it could have been even more campy because it fits it fits the um, it fits the emotions of the character very well. This is a show where the characters are expositing a lot. There's a whole lot of expositing about what they're thinking, what they didn't do, what they should have done. And if that gets stale in the reading, like you're just reading off of a script, then it's no fun to listen to. But Ian gives pep and energy that makes his emotions stand out and coupled with the crazy visuals, um, you should probably have an emotional reaction by the time that they have their duel on Mai in episode 10. Too many otter puns, though. Just still too many otter puns. Let it go, Noah. I will let it go. Now, um, with that, um, have we covered all of the characters? No, we have not. Because now, finally, we're going to get into it, folks. And I I think uh, if you guys are okay, we're just going to group these three into one. I mean, you can't talk about one without talking about the other two. So this is our three main middle school boys who are... Uh, they get turned into Kappas, they have desires, and we're going to talk about those desires. Let's talk about them. First up, we have Enta Jinai, who is the, um, he's uh, one half of the golden duo of our soccer team. Um, and he's also, uh, he's got a deep, dark secret about his affection for Kazuki, which is not so secret as much as he would like to keep that hidden, but we know that. We have also Toei Kuji, who is the bastard. 
the badass. He carries around a metal ruler because you're not allowed to have firearms in Japan. And he's probably too attached to his bad boy brother's lifestyle. We wish he would come to the good side. And bringing him to the good side, we have our main character, Kazuki Yasuka. Um, he basic, okay, he in the grand tradition of shows like Princess Jellyfish and Momiji from Fruits Basket is a boy who looks like his mother and likes to cross-dress. Yeah, we'll have more to say about that. So, voicing these three characters. For Enta, we have Justin Briner. Um, you probably know him best as Deku from My Hero Academia. You may have also heard him, well, you probably didn't hear this, but he is Taz Tazuna in Handshakers, and he is Emil in Yuri on Ice. My boy! <laughs> why did you have to remind us handshakers existed? This did. Oh, why? Because we need to do an episode on it, and I will keep reminding everyone until. No! Why? Look, you've had you've had your carnival episode. I will have my handshakers episode. You know what? What? When's your fucking birthday? It's actually next month. You, you, oh, that's right. Your birthday's like the end of August, right? It is. It's the very end of August. Oh, no, no I get to no. see you for your birthday. I know. I'm so excited. Wait, well, isn't your birthday August 29th? It is August 29th. You know this, Megan. Oh yeah, that's right, because you and my dad have the same birthday. You and your dad decided to have a have a birthday together. We talked about this. We got together and you, agreed you, on this. You, my dad, and your Johnson. <laughs> Where I was talking about something else. I was talking about voice roles, I'm sorry. Um, for to <laughs> Toei is voiced by Rappin' Rico Fajardo. And yes, we will call ow, him ow, that because of what happened at A-Fest last year. I was trying to avoid that. <laughs> um, so, um, Rico, you've heard in stuff like uh, Makoto in Fuka. You've heard him as Takura in Prince of Stride. And most prominently, at least in the last year, he plays Kotaro in Zombieland Saga, which we just found out yesterday is getting a second season. Woohoo! Why am I the only one excited? Uh, I'm I excited. haven't seen the first season. I'm excited too, but I haven't finished the first season. Uh, so I, uh, okay, uh, don't worry. I have a very like subdued excitement, but I am very happy. Okay, but, but we're we're happy. Jet, why aren't you excited? This is my excited face. We're subtly happy. <laughs> don't make uh, me laugh. Okay, uh, okay, I'm sorry. It's like it's almost 11:30 at night. I can only sound so excited. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I'll get some Monster <laughs> Red Bull at century away. Speaking of excited, playing our lead man of Kazuki is Alejandro Saab. Who is um, when he's not on uh, streaming, he plays um, Ka Gakuto in Gamers. He was Suichiro in in Cheer Boys, and he is uh, my good man Jinichi in My First Girlfriend Is a Gal. Yay! This is a uh, this is a this is a very dense group. So um, I, I don't know about keeping this as a roundtable discussion, but Jet, why don't you start us off with uh, dub reactions on this? Uh, sure. So I'll start with uh, Justin Brothers and uh, uh, so Justin Brothers the voice I always enjoy hearing, and uh, like Rayo, it is uh, also kind of a mess. But unlike Rayo, he isn't a mess when it comes to resentment. I mean, well, he kind of is, but we'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, uh his specific mess is just more in how he chooses to project his feelings towards Kazuki. Uh, it's made clear very early on that Enta has a pretty big crush on him, and by clear, I mean he literally comes out and say it, says it, so, uh, yeah, there's no design this one, boys, it's, it's right there. 
Uh, so anyway, <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah, no, it's, there's no problem in being blunt about that because, as we've seen in the past, if if you're not blunt about it, then some fanboys will try to construe the actual meaning of it. They're just good friends. <laughs> They're cousins. Uh, uh, so anyway, he's got a pretty big crush, but he mostly just kind of tries to hide his feelings behind his fantasies. And it just does a really great job of making Edda's awkwardness about those feelings come off in a way that's pretty relatable, regardless of your own sexuality. And uh, I find myself uh, caught between like chuckling and some of his antics, who you know just kind of wanted to give this poor kid a hug. Uh, but as we get a little deeper into the show, when uh, Katsuki starts to get a little closer towards Toy, uh, Edda's feelings kind of shift to more towards uh, resentment and jealousy. And even though he doesn't like show a lot of it openly. Justin's so very clearly able to, to show how much Enta isn't really a fan of Toy and just about all their interactions. And uh, when Katsuki does eventually turn on Enta, uh, Justin just really sold me on how heartbroken Enta was over it. And even though we were clearly supposed to be a little bit mad at Enta in that moment, I still gonna help but feel a little bit sorry for him. And Justin's acting just really did a lot to help me empathize with him. Uh, it's also why I'm glad that Enta kinda got to be redeemed in the end since uh, through all the kind of messed up stuff he did, you could tell that he so clearly cared a lot about Katsuki in spite of that. And uh, that was reflected uh, really well in Justin's performance, so yeah, great job. And I was just gonna say that as an aside, and I remember when in the cast, Justin had like far and away the best singing voice of the bunch. I was really surprised that Matt had some pipes on him, but uh, I really love listening to him this hard on my segments. Whenever we got in that episode, he... he can really sing. Uh... Yeah, uh, getting into uh, Rico's toy. Uh, back when, um, back when I was making predictions for this show, this was actually kind of where I assumed David Mills would be. <laughs> uh, but I really like Rico's toy. Uh, out of the three boys, Toy is kind of the one with the biggest chip on his shoulder, and uh, it's really reflected well in Rico's tone since he makes Toy sound, you know, pretty angsty in those first few episodes. And while he never goes, you know, full-out Sasuke Uchiha, because, let's face it, you never go full Sasuke, you, you, you just don't do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he does make Toy come off as, you know, kind of very aloof and kind of distant, uh, which makes it clear he's hiding something and, you know, said something turns out to be, well, murder. And uh, while that's something, you know, he doesn't bring up a lot for obvious reasons, uh, you can tell it's kind of weighing on him a lot, and Rico captures that pretty well. And I also like how well Rico manages to sell Tori's kind of very complicated relationship with his brother. And you can tell how much he cares about him in spite of how his brother actually sees him and, and those feelings end up being pretty, like, literally self-destructive. And <laughs> when Tori eventually makes a decision to try severing all of his connections. And uh, you can tell that's a decision that kind of really eats away at him. And that even as hard as he could be at times, his relationship with Katsuki and Enter really means a lot to him. And that they've kind of given him, a, given him a sense of hope he feels he doesn't necessarily deserve. And, uh, I mean, eventually he does kind of realize how much that connection matters to him. And, uh, you know, even if it means eventually having to face his crimes, he does eventually get something of a happy ending. Uh, even if his future, you know, may not necessarily be all sunshine and roses. He gets a rad haircut out of the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I gotta say that for an Ikahara ending, that's so pretty optimistic. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, this is far and away the happiest ending to an Ikuhara show. Is that, that's saying something, <laughs> that the juvenile hall is a happy ending for an Ikuhara show. You're not wrong, though. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> um, so anyway, I thought Rico managed to ha uh, tackle this entire arc really well. Uh, as far as his singing goes, I'd say he was the other one that was kind of on the weaker end for me. I did think he sounded better than Damon, but it was just kind of like maybe uh, kind of a little, a little bit in the middle for me. Uh, but aside from that nitpick, I definitely give Rico's performance a big thumb up. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest and say that Toy was probably the least favorite of my least favorite of the boys going in. Uh, but by the end of the show, I definitely found it to be the most interesting, and Rico's uh, performance definitely helped a lot with that. And uh, lastly, going into Alejandro Skazuki. Uh, Alejandro is a voice actor I know mostly for doing a lot of comedy. And while I know he's capable of doing more dramatic roles when he needs to, I was kind of surprised he was cast here. Uh, both for that reason, also because I kind of expected them to, you know, cast someone who can sound kind of androgynous, uh, like Ayumu Marasi's performances, or I figure maybe like Josh Grail or something like that. Uh, you know, especially since Kotsky has that whole deal with cross-dressing for the first few episodes, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of a little disappointed Ikuhara kind of faked out on that one, but, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, anyway, since Alejandro's voice is pretty masculine, I will say that it did kind of maybe hurt the scenes where he was parading around as Sarah a little bit, and it made that whole thing uh, maybe, like, slightly less believable that he was able to keep up that facade for so long. Uh, but aside from that nitpick, I'd say that I thought Alejandro did a really fantastic job here. Like, just right from the beginning, Alejandro was really able to sell me uh, the idea that Kazuki's feelings towards Haruka are, like, really complicated. And, uh, well, it takes a few episodes to learn why Alejandro puts uh, just the right bit of awkwardness to the Kazuki's tone during a lot of their early interactions that you kind of know something's up. And uh, when we finally do see what Kazuki's baggage is, I felt really sorry for him. Like, learning that he feels isolated from his family because he was adopted was really, just really heavy. And Alejandro just really got across that sense of distance Kazuki felt very well. And it just really helped me to empathize with the guy just about immediately. And uh, that definitely could double for when we learned the reason behind why Haruka can't walk. And all those pent up feelings of guilt and worthlessness Kazuki was holding it over that whole thing. And it was just really, really heartbreaking. Like, this is the kid who just very clearly doesn't have any regard for his own self-worth. So, like, during that whole bit where he was kind of offered the chance to trade his life for Haruka, he pretty much attempted that without even a second thought, and I really dug Alejandro's delivery during that whole bit. Uh, and it really just kind of helped to give me an idea of just how much Kazuki hates himself, and it, it that, that whole thing just, it really broke my heart. Uh, uh, but eventually Kazuki does kind of realize that there are people who value him, and he does eventually reach some form of self-acceptance. And when he finally does, Alejandro's tone kind of softens up a bit and it becomes a little bit more relaxed and confident. And you can kind of tell how much healthier the guy is by that point. Uh, and I will say that while Alejandro probably wasn't like the best singer, I didn't have as many problems with him as I did with like Damon or Rico. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily knock down his performance for it. Uh, it if I had one complaint about Kazuki in general, it's that I think his arc is just kind of like more or less done like halfway through the show, so he doesn't have much to do besides uh, play off event and toy, but uh, that's mostly just a nitpick for me, and like on the whole I thought I liked what the show did with him pretty well. Uh, as for Alejandro, I gotta say that he was honestly my favorite performance in the whole dub, and I think he's been having like a really... I think Alejandro's just been having a really sad year in general when it comes to roles, and... Uh, even out of every, even out of all the good stuff he's done this year, this is probably one of my favorites, so, uh, yeah, really great job, Alejandro.
I have to ask, um, in terms of, like, every, I know we keep referencing every other Ikuhara show, but would you say that with the way the show is presented and the way the actors are, you know, the dialogue they're given, was this the easiest set of characters to understand their conflicts or their desires than any other of his shows? Yes. Um, other than Utena. Uh, I've got to... S- uh, okay, I'm gonna say e- I'm gonna say easier than Yuri Kuba. Uh, again, pe- again, I said it before. Penguin drama is probably like the most accessible Ikuhara thing. Like, okay, like even if you don't get all the visual metaphors, it, that was just like really easy to understand on surface level. So yeah. But there's a a lot of references, especially with these three characters, um, about the character of the little prince. I don't know if you guys have actually uh, read that story or at least seen it. I, I have not. I yep. have not. I have. Okay, so did did you pick up on the the similarity? Why they're referencing that? Um, you know, a little bit, but not like one thousand percent. Like I could see where it kind of like worked its way in, but it wasn't the highlight. It's easily missable. Okay, because I that's that's one that I do know, and it was the references of like having to leave is the main thing for the little prince, and there's always that. There seems to be that sense with these characters that there's going to be some separation, which we do get to see near the end. So I think that's why they were telegraphing that in. Maybe. Did you it's but a concept. It is. But a, really, just go watch. The, people, go watch the show and tell us if you can interpret it yourself. This, should, this is like a 300-level grad class thesis. Speaking of which, uh, Gigi, thoughts, opinions, comments. I'm going to make this short and sweet, but first I would like to say that I got two out of three of these predicted right. In fact, as soon as I saw the first episode of Sarah's on my, I said, if Alejandro's not playing that main kid, I'm not watching it. I was like, it's absolutely perfect for him, especially since two out of three of them are in a band together called Weeby. Hashtag not sponsored. Just... Justin Reiner has also done a track with Weeby. He did the um, non-Baka opening with them. So I knew he could sing coming in, so that didn't surprise me at all. Um, I actually predicted Howard Wang to be Enta, but I think Howard Wang is like super busy with his sound cadence stuff. Um, so anyway, I'm going to keep my thoughts to them pretty sweet and short because... Two out of three I thought were absolutely spot on. Um, For Enta, I don't know what it is about Justin Briner, but I can't unhear Deku. So every role that he plays that even remotely resembles a little whiny protagonist... I'm going to hear Deku. And all I heard through this was Deku. It's sings. not just you. He has like a bit part in Snow White with the red hair. And this was even before uh, My Hero Academia started recording. And it still sounds like Deku. Yeah, I mean, it's not a jab. I just hear Deku. Always, always Deku. Always crying. I just hear Justin Briner crying and haunting my dreams constantly. Um, As for Toy, um, I just thought this performance was really dark from Rico. And I know Rico's played some dark characters because he was in Danganronpa 3 and kind of broke me with it, which was insane. Um, But I, I really liked... I really liked his performance here and I was super happy and I really liked the singing because I know Rico can sing and rap. Um, and then, like I said, Kazuki 1000% was 
was Alejandro to me. There would be nobody else who could play this role. My hot damn cinnamon roll knocked it out the park. Um, as for the part where he was cross-dressing, it really didn't bother me because you were supposed to kind of tell that it wasn't supposed to be Sada. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Everything is great. Everything is awesome. Um, Everything is awesome. Yeah, I know. For the parts of the singing, they can always be cleaned up in post. You know, this is not going to come out on Blu-ray for a while. Parts of it that people thought didn't sound great, they can be cleaned up because I've heard their cleaned up stuff and it sounds really good. So um, this was great for me. 10 out of 10 with Deku again. So tell me this, Gigi. Um, I know a whole lot of Ikuhara stuff is more understandable if you're more like if you understand Japanese culture and where they come from. What, why were they singing in this show? Like, what was the significance of that? They sing in every Ikuhara show. All the the fight scenes have a song in the background that will loop continuously, but has slightly different lyrics. Like in Utena, it was that Zetai something. Yeah, that song. Penguin Drum had a song. Uh, Yuri Kuma had a song. They all have a song. So it's just an Ikuhara thing where all of their transformations slash fight scenes will have a song. It doesn't really have anything to do with the Kappas and the Otters. That's a thing that I found out later when I did a podcast with somebody else about something different entirely. But apparently Otters and Kappas are like mortal enemies or something and they always fight, which I didn't get until she told me that. So I was like, oh, hey, well, I guess that works. Um, but yeah, that's just an Ikuhara thing. He likes to have singing. I do think, that, um, I think this is the first time that the that the singing came from the characters themselves as opposed to just like um, off screen singing. Uh, I think you're right, except for like that one girl in Penguin Drum who sang something that wasn't in like the Penguin part with Monica Rial. It was something else. I have to rewatch that. It's been a while. Yeah, since I haven't, I've seen it's it. been a while since I've seen Penguin Drum. Um, Yuri Kuma, I honestly don't remember because I only watched it once. Oh, uh, if you're talking about in-universe singing and Penguin Drum, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that was Emily Dave's character. Okay. So, but, okay. I guess we're trying, we're trying to piece the puzzle of the show together. So helping us with the puzzle piecing, Megan, what, what does the, the three boys represent? Fuck if I knew. <laughs> well, okay, here's the thing. I actually have all the, I got like three, four predictions in the show, right? Uh, they were Sarah, Rayo, and Mabu, and actually, I got Enta? <laughs> I, I knew Justin was gonna be Enta. I was like, oh, that's just Justin's character. Um, I really like Justin as Enta. He has the right amount of being an obnoxious little crybaby, being the bestest, gayest bro in the world. Thank God they did not beat around the bush about Enta be wanting Kazuki's recorder. Um... So much so that he steals it and kisses it behind his back. And then Kazuki's like, oh, the soccer team put you up to all of that. And he's like, no! No, I want to do you. No, no, just just like Enta's reaction of just like internally screaming in that moment was great. Um, I thought Justin was the best singer in the show. Um, I was, I knew he could sing. I've listened to that Weeby track. I've listened to Weeby sing. I know that Alejandro and Rico can sing, guys. Trust me, I've listened. Um... But I was like, just like, I was like, man, that, that boy's gonna power ballad his way through this shit. Let's go, soccer, soccer. S by the way, shout out to the soccer team and very clearly being Jerry Jewel. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that was very much Jerry. Uh, 
I thought Justin got the, the, the right level of annoyed, innocent, naive, freaked out, because he's the character who comes the second closest to biting it. Um, Rico as Toy, um, out of the three main boys, I did think that Rico was the weaker of the singers, but in his defense, Koki Uchiyama wasn't much better, and I'm gonna get flack for that. Um, sorry, not sorry. Uh, I thought Rico did a really good job getting a lot of Toy's emotions across. If I did have a minor nitpick, there were some times where I think that Toy and Chikai sounded way too similar in age to me. But that's again a minor nitpick that can be fixed if they decide to go back and redub any of the scenes. I think that he got a lot of uh, Toy's anger, sadness, uh, and and pain across very well. Uh, my other my other nitpick was actually a writing nitpick. And I don't know who to yell at for this. Um, because when Chikai dies and Toei throws the money off, in, in the Crunchyroll subs, he yells, fuck. And in the dub, he just yells, god damn it. And I kind of wish that they would have kept the fuck in. And I'm hoping, I'm wondering if they did that because streaming reasons, as opposed to home video, where they can get away with it. But fuck if I know. Um, I still think that Toei, he did a really good job as Toei. Alejandro as, as Kazuki was phenomenal. Like, I, I, I was, I'm really proud of him because he was the lead in two different shows this season. He was both the lead in this and he was one of the leads in Kono Oto. And again, two performances that sat, well, I think I, you can tell that those two are played by the same gentleman. They both have widely different tones and character arcs. And I think that the way he gets across Kazuki's arc is really well done. I think he gets a lot of the emotions of being adopted out uh, really well. That story, being adopted myself, also hit close to home. Also, shout out to the grandpa who literally tells a five-year-old your mother was a whore. I love that. Here's the thing no, I love No, because it's, like, it's actually punched up in English because I vividly remember that scene in the Japanese and he goes, your mother was a loose woman in Japan. This one, he's like, no, your mom was a hoe. I, um, no, I, I love the I love that transition though because like uh, you see that they're panning to a hospital and I thought they were going to explain how um what was it um, Haruka got in the in the wheelchair like I thought that was going to be the backstory but no it's like no we're gonna find out Grandpa's like your mama was a hoe <laughs> was even funnier um, it's not it's very tragic because then if you if you actually notice that Kazuki's clothes start changing because uh, his parents and Haruka all wear horizontal stripes. Um, thank you for that, character designers. I think Alejandro, like I said, I think Alejandro does a phenomenal job. I think this is one of his career best performances. Um, granted, he gave two really good career best performances in one season. So, I think he's going places. Job. This kid's going places. Well, he went to LA, so. Um, come back! Come back! Come back with Source Connect, Alejandro! Come back! Well, you, you have to for Kono Oto season two anyway. Noah, go ahead, because this has gone on for a lot longer than I expected. It's, hey, we're still under the two-minute mark. We're doing awesome. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> this is, um, these are three characters that, um, uh, there are really complex subjects being discussed here, and it's not that they're subjects that you can't grasp, like the ideas about uh, love, uh, misplaced uh, affection for your brother, and resentment about being adopted aren't really like complex or even new in animation, but uh, the way they're presented is very abstract. So you have to have three actors that are really 
um, believable in their acting. Like we've talked before, there are some times where abstract and artsy concepts don't really get across very well because the, the people who are reading the lines don't believe what they're saying. For, for the most part, all three of these sounded like they believe what they were saying. Um, most so definitely with Justin Briner's Enta, because the emotions of uh, not just dealing with your desire for your friend, but also um, him not seeming to reciprocate those feelings can leave through some pretty angsty emotions, and Justin definitely conveys that really well. Um, there's not really a whole lot of, um, there's not a whole lot of subtlety in there, so good job on Justin. Um, I do also, I do agree Toei is kind of, uh, maybe sounds a little bit too old for middle school age, but this is, like, these are grown men playing middle school characters, so you kind of... They are in the Japanese too, so fight me. I'm not saying you're not right, it's, it's something... Oh no, I'm oh, saying, no, I'm saying to other people. people. Okay, but I mean, we, we don't, we don't usually cast child actors in anything anymore, so, especially not in simulcasting so for what we got honestly uh rico's definitely makes his uh, uh his angsty character interesting um a lot of that's conveyed with the animation but with when rico gets to talk when he gets to say um like you know when he kind of badgers his friends or he's really passionate about his parents and um they left him in debt basically and that kind of colors his view of the world um, that's a they, lot of. They killed themselves over their debt. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, they did. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'll get better. <laughs> they just went on an overseas trip. They, they, they went home in a spaceship. But I was saying about Toei, um, Rico's performance of it uh, definitely conveys the, the, like what the, how that can fuck up a middle schooler pretty well. And it, it makes it more interesting than angsty to listen to. So I want to give props to Rico for that. And Alejandro is just really fun to listen to. Um, everything he goes through, I don't think I've ever heard of someone cope trying to get close to their sibling um, by dressing up as their favorite idol before. So that was unique. But um, I don't think there's really anything I would have changed on this. And I did like all the, the singing on this. Um, I, I couldn't really gauge like who I thought was better. I thought they harmonized really well. The point was is that they didn't do the one thing that I like. I consider the most cardinal sin of singing, of dub singing, really. When you take a syllable and you stretch it out over multiple bars to make it fit the meter, that is the one thing I hate. And I've heard that in some bad dub singing before. They did not do this here. Every syllable had its own beat. Everything was didactic and fit the lip flaps. So for that, I will forgive any amount of somewhat lackluster singing that there may have been, and they may clean up a little bit in the final uh, wrap of it. So my good friends here, these three have all said their piece on this shall we wrap this up with our final thoughts miss Gigi? yo so this may not be my favorite ikuhara anime in fact out of the four i would put it at a solid number three um because i have more emotional attachment to revolutionary girl lieutenant and to penguin drum um but that's not to say that this is a bad anime it's a very good anime it's a very ikuhara anime as a whole the dub is the best dub for an ikuhara anime that's out there fight me uh singing was good casting is great give ian sinclair sinclair mm-hmm. give ian sinclair an oscar or whatever the anime equivalent of it is he will i mean you can give him something at the end oh of the he's year. already getting my dubby for best dramatic performance that's 10 out of 10 it's gonna happen no one will usurp it from him so um that's all i've got and 
Time to take back me to my bed. Time to, time to take your, what do they call it, a Shigodama? Shigodama. Shigodama. It's a glowing circle that says butt on it. Let's not do that right now, thanks. Okay. Um, Jet, final thoughts. I've been a pretty big fan of Kinehiko Ikahara's work ever since I discovered Penguin Drum back in 2011, and uh, a part of me still thinks he might have kind of maybe peaked with that one. Uh, he still continued to put out a lot of really interesting work, and uh, pretty much everything he's worked on has been something I've loved, but this is definitely no exception. Uh, well, I didn't quite know what he was going for with this one going in at the beginning, since it seemed like it could be about a lot of things, and it probably was. Uh, by the end of it, I really got into his message on the importance of it, on the sorry the importance of our connections and how much they can support us. You know, even when the future doesn't always seem certain. And uh, I really like the characters and how their arcs were handled. And you know, while I have a few nitpicks here and there, I say that on the whole, Ikuhara is definitely added another entry to his list of masterpieces. Uh, after the dub, it's also not totally perfect, but. Uh, Kevin Ikahara does have generally had a really terrible track record on that front. Uh, that this one turned out as well as it did deserves some serious props. And I can safely say that no matter which language you watch the show in, you are definitely not missing out, which is definitely not something I can say about a lot of other Ikahara does besides Yurikuma. So to Tabitha, Clint, and all the actors, uh, thumbs up, you guys did a really fantastic job. Beautiful. Megan! Let's hit this deck. Um... This is one of my favorite anime of the year. Um, it was my anime of the year contender, and the only reason... It's my anime of the year contender for a show that isn't a sequel or a reboot. Uh, I think we all know what my actual favorite anime that's coming out this year is. Um, Fire Force. Hint, hint, wink, wink. You know what? Eat my ass. Um, just like Kepi. Uh, but, uh... Theming. Theming. Um... I think that the dub of the show is is very solid. I I like it a lot. It does have its flaws. Is it personally it will it end up on my dubbies in some way, shape, or form? Probably. Uh, I think I, if it does, I think we all know based on things I've said earlier in this episode where it might be going. Um, in terms of other spring dubs, uh, this was probably my number three for spring shows in terms of dubs. Um, I did think that a certain um, reboot of a show and a certain show about a music club were a little bit more solid and well-rounded. Um, that being said, this is not a bad dub at all. I think this is a, a fantastic dub. This is really easy to listen to. I think it does a really good job of making the show very approachable for people who can't read subtitles. And even if you read, even if you are a subs person, you're not going to have a bad time listening to this unless you're actively like trying to go in hating it. Um, I really do think that more people should give this a show. I, I, I actually get actively annoyed that the show gets, like, bad ratings on the Funimation app. But it's probably because it's by people who are probably like, Ooh, this is gay. and Yeah, fuck those people. We, we don't um, give those people um, the time of day. We don't give those people the time of day. Um, I really do really appreciate that the show is unabashedly gay. Um, I really hope that this... I'm really happy that Funimation did dub this. I'm happy that this didn't just get stuck on Crunchyroll. Yep. That they were like, hell yeah, we, we fucking dub this. Um, it's a real shame this season that Given is stuck on fun is stuck on Crunchyroll. Yep. And that they almost, basically almost didn't promote it until, like, I think a bunch of people gave them shit, by the way. Like, 
thanks thanks to my boyfriend Roots of Justice for calling Crunchyroll the fuck out about Given. Because they they almost didn't promote it until he said, oh yeah, what are you gonna do, promote Shield Hero some more? Yikes. <laughs> I, um, no, be the change looks... you want to be in the world, people. Be the change you want to see in the world and get your heterosexual boyfriend to promote gay shit. B-O. 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 But no, I'm very happy that Funimation did dub this. I am... I'm ecstatic. I'm hoping that this leads to other uh, other countries' gay material getting picked up. We all know what I want to see licensed. Um, but uh, yeah, good job overall. Uh, really happy. Also, please give this a limited edition for the love of fuck. Um, oh my god, it could come with a plate, like a little saucer, a little saucer. Or make the art book in the shape of a dish of hope. <gasps> I like it. You know the one, anyway, anyway. the one special feature I want on this if, when it gets released. I want there to be a sing-along version where there's like bouncing balls at the bottom of the screen so you yeah. can sing along with your favorite. Bouncing cappies. Bouncing cappies. Just follow the bouncing cappy. No, follow the bouncing cappy. But it's got to be Sarah's version. No, it needs to be cappy. Bounce, bounce, bounce. <laughs> this is a show. This is a show that, um, it. It's um, we we've heard and seen just about every kind of show there, uh, every type of story there is out there in the world. If you're looking for something that is really not too different contextual, I'm sorry, not too different subject-wise, but contextually is very different. I would highly recommend looking this up, um, and don't don't think about it too hard. Like I I feel like people who say they don't understand it are thinking way too hard. This is not a kind of show to think too hard. What you think it is about is exactly what it's about, and I love it for that. So more of this, please, in the future. More ending songs by the Peggies, more weird animation. Oh, but oh. oh yeah, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, the ending to this show is so good. So good. <laughs> so is the opening. Yeah, if we were giving away awards for the actual ending, like animations, this would be on that list because I love it yeah, so. Stand By Me by the Peggies is so fucking good, guys. So it was uh, Marissa by Kanaboom, which is the opening. That's, that was also a good one. I, I've, I've listened to the ED more than the opening, but I've definitely listened to the opening quite a bit at work. So, uh, yeah, for and I have no qualms with the dub on this one. It's rare to find something that's so confident, I think, in it, how well it's dubbed, but these guys seem to really latch onto the material, and I don't know how they did that without having seen the whole show ahead of time, but they... Oh no, Alejandro was watching it week to week. Yeah, or yeah, but I mean like they, they dubbed this while it was still airing. True. True. So that that in itself is a minor miracle. Like it just really shows how far we've come in the simul dub era that something this confident and this high quality can come out on a week to week basis. We are spoiled in 2019. Speaking of spoiled, thank you all for listening to us. Um, we have a couple of shout outs to give, um, actually, because for the first time uh, since uh, we started opening up. We have a couple of patrons to thank, and I want to give a quick shout out to those individuals right now. So we want to give a big thanks to our $5 patrons. We want to thank Michelle Travis, and I'm going to get the full name here, Nika Robin, but with Yowie hands. That is a very creative <laughs> username. God bless. Now, we also want to give an extra special thanks to our $10 patrons. Please, um, thank you so much. Carly Listakow, Brad Mitchell, Jared, Marissa Lenti, and WB. Wait. <laughs> That's Weepy. It's Weepy. Me. Shit, I guess we are sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Thanks for the seven roll money. They're one of our patrons. God, god damn it. Um, 
Does anyone have other things that they want to plug really quickly? My Twitter is Queenera2. Follow me for shit posts. Follow me on Anime Palooza on Twitter and YouTube. I also have two other podcasts called the Shoujo Trash Showdown and the Anime R&R Podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the Anime R&R Podcast, please DM me on Twitter because I need guests. Thanks. You can find me on Twitter at Vibega where I'll occasionally where I often post about uh, anime and whatnot. You can also occasionally find me on my blog, Animation Infinity, where I write things. I'm doing weekly reviews for Astro Walk in Space this season, and uh, yeah, that's about it. And you can follow me, Noah Clue, on Twitter, at Noah Clue, pictures of adorable children. I have three children now, because this is the first podcast I've recorded since I had my third child, Leo. Happy birthday, Leo! Hi, Leo! Hi, Leo! He can't hear you, but he, he's going to grow up to be a nerd, so, you know, got to start him young. And with, and you can follow us on Dub Talk uh, here on our YouTube channel. Please help, please subscribe and help us grow the channel. We have social media accounts, and I'm not going to post them here because we are done. Woohoo! Remember. Thank you for the money, Nico Robin, but with yaoi hands. So remember, keep your connections and never let your desire stop. Stand by me. Onegai. Gai. Love your faces. Aloha and otaku on, my friends. Bye.